Okay, this is session 16 of our Smoke and Snow game. We are getting near the winter of Valconan. It is only six days away from the month of Shadow Chase, which is the first, first month, if I can put my teeth in, of the long Valconan winter. Last session, unfortunately, we lost um, Brother Lomas to the deadly tentacles and more of a roper in the caverns on the Grey Peaks. The rest of the party were able to escape, although not without injury, given that Wymar had to hack his own foot off with a flaming sword to escape, and they managed to make it back to the village of New Zealand, where they holed up for a while, at which point they were joined by a an Ice Walker barbarian who had previously been part of um, a bandit group that they'd They'd sort of made a rough alliance with um, McCord's bandits and this um, barbarian Brock had sort of tired of sort of bandit life and he came to join the group in New Zealand. The plan for the party, since they'd heard rumours of fantastical mithril in the mountains to the north, was to head to the north and see what they could find there. So we start off with you guys in New Zealand. Before you've sent Cotton Nickel away, you've set, you're going to send him to Eastburn Fort to hire some more men to protect the village. But before he leaves, you're all sat around in the, the guardhouse, uh, puffing pipes of old Doby. And he, say, he leans forward and he says, uh, Well, okay, well, I can, I can tell you a little bit about the the men we've got currently as guards and uh, you said you wanted to take two with you well I'll tell you a little bit about them and you can um, take your pick uh, before we get into that though I should tell you um, while you were away uh, adventuring I've uh, I've overseen uh, I hope you don't mind on my own merit I've overseen the building of a of a beacon a short distance to the north on a, a hill uh, it's a it's a simple affair, you know, a small hut, a, a wooden fire, etc. And I've got a, a couple of villagers manning it with orders to light the beacon, should any they perceive any sort of danger approaching the village. Gives a bit of advance warning, that sort of thing. Now, um, I know you want me to go to um, Fort Eastburn and uh, hire these men. I'll also tell you that um, the, the village elder, uh, Josiah, has approached me and he's asked me if I can. Uh, also find a uh, a new priest for the uh, for the village when I travel to the fort. He seems uh, he seems quite downhearted about the whole affair. Uh, I mean, I'm not a religious man myself. Uh, he seems quite downhearted about the uh, the loss of the friar. But um, I, I, I've told him I'll see what I can do. But I, I can't promise anything. After all, uh, finding men at arms is relatively easy. But finding a priest, well, that's a different matter. Anyway, uh we didn't come here to talk about that. Um, you wanted to take two of the two of the defenders of the village um, with you on this uh, this expedition. Your mounting. He says, "Well, there's a we, we've got a we've got five uh, people you could potentially take with you." He says, "We've got a we've got a Annie Williams, a ni nice enough um, nice enough woman, a little bit a little bit reticent to talk about her past, and I've noticed that." Uh, on her forearm, she has these like strange patterns of like shallow white scars, but uh, she doesn't really like talking about it. And um, then we've got Miss um, Dixon, uh, Caroline. Uh, she seems more of your sort of fame and glory type. Um, you know, she, she's actually mentioned a few times uh, like 
asking after what um, you fellows have been up to. You know, seems to be seems to be quite taken with the the sort of adventuring life. Um, and she's got a um, I mean, she's got a wolf bite on one of her arms, but um, that doesn't seem to have deterred her at all. And then we've got um, we've got Clarence Jones. Um, he's he's a bit more of your sort of well. And he sort of looks around. If well, if not not to be around the boy, she seems like a bit of a thug to me. But uh, he does what he's told, and uh, he's not caused any problems. Uh, a little bit quick to go for the uh, the sword, if you ask me. But uh, what can you do? Then we've got um, the young hothead, um, Dick Simpson. Uh, he's uh, again, he's another fellow. So I think someone may have done him wrong in the past, but again, he doesn't doesn't really talk about it much. Uh, we've got a uh, Robert Hayes. Uh, he's a uh, he seems to be like a cunning fellow. He made several suggestions about how he could improve the defences. He seems to have a good head on his shoulders. And then last, but by no means least, we've got um, Ulysses um, Richardson. Now, uh, I'm not sure if and he sort of looks over at Harp when he says this. So I'm not really sure if you'd want to go for Ulysses. Uh, I, I'm not sure why. I mean, he's a pretty strong word fellow. He's pretty handy in a tight spot, but um, he seems to have this. Um, this dislike of, um, and I, I don't mean to be offensive, of uh, fae creatures um, and those of uh, your bloodline, um, Hop. So I don't know whether you'd want to go for him, but um, like I say, he's done what he's told when, when he's been asked. So, uh, I mean, we, we can spare two of them. So if you, if you have any thoughts about which you'd like to take with you. Uh... Well, let's leave Ulysses behind. Okay. That feels like <clears throat> trouble that I don't need. Indeed. Perhaps tempting fate a little bit too much. Yes. Uh, Caroline Dixon sounds like she has the right kind of attitude. Yeah. Um, uh, Caroline? Well, yes, I'm I'm sure she'd be, uh, she'd be most helpful in your endeavours. Yeah, and then I think maybe Dick Simpson too. Dick Simpson, like I say, he's a little bit hot-headed. Is a uh, is old Dicky boy, but uh, he's a uh, he uh, he's a good lad at heart, you know. Like I say, just a uh, just uh, sometimes his uh, temper flares a bit, but it's not really caused any trouble so far. Uh, I've been known to flare my own temper, so I think we. Well, haven't we all? He says. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, so I am just going to. Add these guys on to my sort of party overview. I've moved them into the, the sort of player party bit. I've not come up with individual graphics for all of the um, all of the various people because there's loads of them. So um, yeah, so um, Leopold is just or Captain Leopold is just <laughs> he's, he's keeping quiet currently he's, he's still smarting about the lack of dwarfs but he, he's quite impressed by these doughty females that are rocking up he, he thinks that's um you know maybe there is some some hope for these these humans is that the blue rinse brigade that you encountered last no no last they're, right, they're over the hill and the less oh. said about them the better okay <laughs> yes, I. I will. Um, I need to consider what I'm going to do about them. I, perhaps I'll, I'll 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 turn on the charms, and, and and turn them to my cause. 
win over their win over their um, hearts. Perhaps I need to uh, bribe them with um, some. Well, where there's original a- a- annual flowers in their in their borders or something like that, or some some chocolates or some cakes. Who knows? It's not the strangest thing I've heard. No. Tell you what, you can tell I've got we've got too many NPCs. It takes me ages to find them on this list. Perhaps what I might actually do is just spend a little bit of time listening to their tales of old, and uh, they might appreciate that. Maybe you could chip in a few of your own. I mean, oh you know, yes, if it's anything many dwarves tales. like, it's a tale of old. Yeah, well, it, it it does pain me to be at odds with the ancestors, you know. And the, these old girls, they're virtually ancestors at this point. Not my ancestors, but, you know, they're somebody's ancestors. Or will yeah, be. Yeah, or everybody's will be. someone's ancestor. <laughs> <laughs> at some point, at some point, we all become ancestors. So I should probably pay, pay them some respect, despite their lack of respect in my direction. Okay, well, I've managed to find Caroline Dixon. Unfortunately, this um, this massive list it gives you is basically like here's like everything you've got set up as a character in one huge list, like including monsters and NPCs, and it's like not searchable or anything like that. So you just have to like page down until you find them. And as you can imagine, we've got a lot of NPCs, monsters, stuff like that. <laughs> a lot of yeah. I'm going to have to mute myself because I've got Keith Moon cracking away in the background there. So um, I don't know if you can hear it, but I can. Right, okay, so is there anything else you guys want to discuss with Cotton Nickel before you head out? No, I don't think so. I think just, again, we want them to try and find some dwarves if you can and some standard men-at-arms if you can't. He, he says, uh, "He says, well, like I told you last time, I'll, I'll do my best, but... Uh, I can't make any promises. I have to take what I can get, unfortunately. No, no, absolutely. But yeah. wasn't there talk of sending message like across the waters to the, you know, where there were more dwarfs actually it was. settled? He says, "Well, certainly I can. I can try and send a message on one of the boats going back to Roaline, but I mean, that that'll take months to. Uh, assuming that there's even any dwarves want to come over, it'll take months. I mean, it'll I can take longer do if it. you don't start it." Well, that's uh, that, that's true. I suppose that's true. Uh, maybe I should send like an artifact like this. I've got this frost axe. I wonder if if I sent a frost, you know, if I. He says, "Well, you, you've mentioned these uh, these these frost dwarves, as you call them, and that they're on the the, the witch isle. Well, could, yeah. could couldn't we send ask if any of them are interested? I mean, that they're dwarves, aren't they?" And that they're a good deal nearer than the ones back in Rebellion. What do you mean, recruit them? 
recruit them up. Yes, exactly. I mean, I know it take, it'll take a few days to get there, but it'll take a damn sight less time than uh, sending a message on a boat back to Rowellin. True enough. I'd kind of considered that in their reduced numbers, they were, you know, they had well, their work cut out for them. But well, well, I tell you what. How about um, I'll send a. I'll send a messenger to the Witch Isle. There's no harm in asking. And I'll put a message on the boat going back to Rohillian as well. And then we've got both both angles covered. For sure, for sure. That would be uh, most helpful. Uh, that's that's fine, that's fine. Well, if there's um, if there's nothing else, I, um, I best start getting myself ready for the journey to the fort. Um, I'll, um, I'll send um, Carolina uh, Dick over to join you in your... Uh, your endeavours, and uh, I wish you all luck. Yes, uh, uh, and a safe journey to you, sir. And to you. And you also exchange pleasantries, and you um, you leave. As you're sort of getting prepped, ready to leave, you can see that there is a light sort of snow falling. The weather, since we're getting nearer to winter, has started to turn colder. However, as you're sort of, you're all, you're all togged up, you're getting ready to leave the village. As you're walking across the village grounds ready to head out through the palisade that has been erected around it you see a, a a man comes walking out one of the buildings he's just one of the villagers and he comes out and like sort of sort of under his arms he's holding two young children like as in like not long been born young children wrapped up in like shawls and he comes out he's like got like tears like on his cheeks he's got like a big smile on his face and he's like, it's a boy and a girl. And a couple of other villagers are like, oh, yeah, and they're like chatting. At which point, they're like congratulating him. There's a lot of backslapping, etc. You see old Josiah Means, the elder of the village, he's like white hair. He's got more furs pulled around him against the cold. He walks over and he says, in a loud voice, obviously intending for everyone to hear, he says, now I know we've, we've all faced hard times and um, I know the loss of, our two priests uh, has hit us all greatly, and I know some of you thought that maybe it was a sign from the gods we we weren't really supposed to be here, especially with the winter coming on, but if you need any sign that we are supposed to be here, look no further than this. Uh, the first two children born to the settlement of New Searland, born on a Valconan soil. Surely this is also a sign that we are meant to be here, and if we all if we all work together and we all look after each other, then we can survive the harsh winters and we can flourish here when the summer comes again. And of course, people are sort of nodding. At which point, um, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, at this news, I'm, I'm looking round to see where Harp is, uh, as he seems to kind of keep control of the party funds. Uh, so once I locate him, I'm like, Harp, Harp. I feel I think we need to rustle up some some coins as a as a as a gift. Uh, we should be the we should be the first to um, um, congratulate these folk. Yeah, certainly. How much do you want? Well, what do you what do you think? I'm I'm, I'm not I'm not too um, I'm not too au fait with the. So I, I think you know twins is a special occasion, so maybe twenty-five mm. gold each would be. That, a... sound, that sounds most appropriate. 
Yes. Okay, so deduct a total of 50 gold off your party funds. The the father, you assume, because he's holding the kids, when yeah. you walk over, do you say anything as you walk over and you hand him this this princely gift, as far as he's concerned, of yeah. like 50 gold pieces? Yeah, so... He's I, like wide-eyed, he just like, can't believe you've just gone up and congratulations, there's a bag of, bag of money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, I sort of take it upon myself as Captain Leopold of the Watch. I head across and um, say to him, congratulations, uh, this is a, a poignant day in the uh, the history of our uh, community um, and myself and my doughty companions here would like to present you with this gift as uh, a mark of our uh, our best wishes for your futures and and um, you know, he looks perhaps, absolutely. Perhaps you can invest it. Yeah, yeah. And um, and he's, he's he's tumbling over and so he's like, oh, thank you. This so so generous. Thank <laughs> I I can't say thank you enough. And then he he seems to pause as though he's sort of thinking to himself a bit, and he says, um, it's uh, I, I was hoping originally that um, the, the the friar um, Leander his soul. Uh, would do us the honour of naming these two children, but since he is no longer here and he sort of looks around the assembled party of adventurers, I, I, I would be honoured if you would consider naming them. Um, well, my my advice would be to you, sir, to take. Um, did you say it was a boy and a girl? That's correct. I I, I would. I would, I would um, suggest that you take your your father's name and your wife's mother's name. That would be my advice, so that they can be remembered going forwards. He says, uh, "Oh, that that, that is a that, that is a tremendous idea." After all, unfortunately, they're no longer with us. It would be it would be nice to think that even if in name only they. That they were still with us in some part, um, since they've uh, they, they they'd gone to be with Leander some years before we left Rowellina. Th- thank you, I, I, I will, I will. And again, thank. And he's sort of tumbling over himself. He's so grateful. He's, and and again, th- thank you for this uh, this magnificent gift. I, I I truly don't know how to thank you enough. I put my hand on his shoulder, say, "You're more than welcome." And if we can be of any assistance in the future, you need only ask. Oh, th- th- thank you, thank you. And obviously, the after a while, because it's cold, the children start crying, and he he makes his excuses, and he heads over to one of the sort of group houses that form the buildings, and you hear like the sort of like, the sound of the children crying gets muted as like the doors shut on the uh, the building, and you hear like some shocked exclamations from inside as he, <laughs> as he's no doubt gone to his wife and gone like, this, this guy's you just giving us like fifty gold pieces, <laughs> and like there's a, there's a bit of a sort of like excited discussion as this is probably more gold than they've ever like seen in their lives or even yeah, dreamed yeah, yeah. of nice okay so with that dealt with we start the main adventure as we said at the start you're planning to travel north to the grey heights where there is rumoured to be mithril located in the mountains you know that the journey is roughly 50 miles now you've got a you've got a couple of well you've got more than a couple of horses You've got a cart. However, due to the snow falling, it's still making it sort of quite slow going, quite travelling. 
So, given that you're a wilderness man, Harp, and also yourself, Brock, because you've been about a bit, you've been travelling around um, Rohaline, not Rohaline, Falconen. So, between Harp's experience and your local knowledge, you sort of put your heads together, the two of you. And you reckon it's probably going to take you, in the current conditions, maybe about eight days to, to get to like the Grey Heights. And assuming you have nothing further to do, you sat off. So you should hopefully all be able to see the, the main map. And I am going to move you for your first day's travel. Given the current conditions, you're able to move about six miles a day. Now, on the first day, about halfway... Th I'll just move you to the end of where we'll be at the end of the first day. But you're travelling by the river, trying to take advantage of the relatively like flat terrain there, because it'll be a lot slower if you're going through the woods. So about halfway through the first day, you see this small hillock that Cotton Nickel spoke of and there's a very crudely sort of made obviously been put together rapidly wooden hut on this hillock and there is a basically like a large sort of wooden bonfire with like a little bit of a tarp to keep the snow off it nearby which you assume is the beacon as you're approaching it you can see a couple of villagers you recognize them having seen them in New Zealand although you're not intimately familiar with them and as they see you approaching they sort of wave at you in a friendly manner one of them's like oh uh, wh where are you heading to fellas we're heading north looking for treasure <clears throat> they're like oh well um we've um we we've got a fire going inside um we, we we've got a brew on if you want to come in and have a a bit of a brew you know keep shake the cold off and whatever you're more than welcome what do you reckon, guys? Are we ready for a little break, or do we want to continue? That, that, that sounds like a fine idea to me, but I'm happy to go with whatever you fellas feel well, is let best. Let's stop for a cup of tea, and yeah, it, it would be it would be well to sort of take them up on this hospit uh, this hospitable offer. Yeah, there's not going to be a lot of those going forward, so no. uh, the the warmth will do you good. That's right, yes. You head inside, and the two villagers who, over the course of a few minutes' conversation, which we won't go into, it's just general, like, oh, how are things going in the village? And, oh, what are you hoping to find in the map? And all that sort of stuff. You, the villagers who you come to know are called Frank and Smith, they, they've got, like, a little sort of um, fire set up. They've got, like, a, a little pot hung over it that they're doing, like, their tea in. They probably cook their food in as well. You're all given, like, a nice warm beverage, which is very welcome because even the short distance you've travelled, it's obvious the weather is turning bitter. Although you're all togged up at the moment and it's not like blizzard conditions, so you're all fine. You have a cup of tea, you exchange pleasantries. Is there anything in particular you want to do there after you've had like a bevy or are you pushing on? Um I've just got, push on. Oh, I've got a quick question for you there, John. Of course. Um I can't remember what old Dobby or old Doby is. Old Dobie is, is the finest pipe weed, my friend. Okay. Of North Farthing, as we know. Indeed. <laughs> but the finest well, I... weed in South Falconen. Okay. Well, I've got three lots of that. Indeed. Now, if you remember last time, we talked about bringing in the optional rules where if you want to, like, sit down for an hour or, like, smoke a pipe and, like, ponder over a problem you've got, you can basically get, like, a bit of a hint. 
but obviously that well, uses up your supplies and there's chat there might be a chance of a random encounter stuff like that well i'm i was just thinking um Mm, maybe not. Um, I'm going to look to old Harp again. You know, I think these guys are doing a sterling job. Old um, Leopold's feeling since, you know, this brush with with death and one thing and another, I think he's been reconsidering his values and he's feeling a bit sort of like generous. Okay. So maybe a few coins just for these guys doing a sterling job here at the beacon and yeah, if you've, got to, if you've got to chip them a couple of coins, just cross a couple of gold pieces off your uh, your total. That they're, they're very grateful again because like they're, they're pretty much farmers, really. They're not like military men. They don't yeah, see exactly. much gold. So I mean, they're... it's going to make a, a much more of a difference to them than it yeah, does to us. Yeah. You know, Considering your guys' wealth, I mean, a couple of gold pieces is nothing to you guys, yeah. but to them, it could be everything. Yeah, I feel we could be talking about generational wealth here because <laughs> they they do barter, right? Yes, uh, they they don't necessarily use coin. Yeah. So, so uh, I was going to give them. I was going to give them some of the old uh, old Dobie there, but you know, I don't know if I can, yeah, yeah, can't smoke gold. Yeah, yeah I can't smoke right. that gold. And... As the old as the old dwarven <laughs> saying goes, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you can't smoke gold. <laughs> okay, so after exchanging pleasantries, getting a warming drink inside you. You leave the small hut and the beacon, which is marked by the little fire icon on the map, and you continue on your way. As you're about to head down the hill and continue following the river, with your keen elven eyes, Malcolm, just sort of like maybe like a few miles across the river on the other side, you can see what looks to be on the very edge of the forest. here where I'm pinging at the moment you can see what appears to be a small sort of encampment you know it's like a a big tent sort of set up just on the very outskirts of the forest you can see anyone in us you can see like a couple of people sort of milling around but through like the um the snow and the distance you can't really make out any details but you can definitely see like at least a couple of people sort of moving around okay and are we very far north of the bridge Yeah, you're pretty far north, yeah. Okay. I don't recognise this as anything to do with McCord's group, do I? It, the, it doesn't look like the sort of mate... Because obviously they are, when they left the fort, sort of pretty sharpish when they were banished, they pretty much had to make do with what supplies they could take. It doesn't look like the sort of like ramshackle tent you'd expect McCord's bandits to be using. You know, it looks like... A, I mean, it looks like it's seen some use, but... It looks to be like fairly well maintained. It doesn't look like it's just been robbed off the back of a merchant's caravan. So you're like, it's probably, I can't say for definite, but it's probably not McCord's people. Okay. Okay. Is it worth a day to travel back and across the bridge? All I would say is they're quite close to New Zealand. You know. I don't think that's um, a risk you'd want to take if that's someone that's got interior motives. I mean, obviously, if you guys don't want to travel back down and go across the bridge, the bridge is pretty much level with where New Zealand is for the purposes of this map. If you if you don't want to travel that, you could always try fording or crossing the river here, 
But obviously, with the weather being so cold, if you get dunked, it's going to potentially cause you issues unless you can like get your clothes dried out and stuff like that. I'm 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 in no rush. I I, I agree with Brock, and um, I mean I'm inclined to investigate this, but I have no desire to go swimming in the river. I must confess. No, it's far too cold for that, Lark. Indeed. Yeah, let us head back and across the bridge and we can investigate. Okay, no problems. So it's basically, I mean, you've not even gone like your full journey when you see that. So it's probably going to take you like a day. And I'll just move you across to where the camp is. As you head back down to New Zealand, across the bridge, the the weather's staying pretty much the same, although obviously like snow has started to build up because it's been sort of snowing constantly. As you get level on the outskirts of the forest, and just beyond you can see the ruins of Castlemaine that some of you have been to previously, and that's where you met Cotton Nickel, first of all. As you make your way towards this camp, you can start seeing it in more detail, and you can see what appeared to be three people. They're, they're sat around a, a small campfire, they're smoking pipes, one of whom is an elf, one of whom is a dwarf wearing like Ooh. fur and chainmails, and the other person appears to be a a man who's obviously a religious man. He's wearing like clerical vestments. He's got like symbols of like Leander, sort of like sewn into his robes and stuff like that. They're they're all sitting down, sort of like smoking a pipe. As you as you get a little bit closer, who's who's taking the lead as you're sort of approaching? Have we got a face, man? I feel like... I'm... I feel like as soon as we knew it was a dwarf, Leo was like sprinting ahead. <clears throat> well, you know... Is that what you're doing, I have, to, I, have you? to con- I have to confess I'm quite encouraged by the fact that there's a dwarf in town. But, uh... Yeah. Who, who has got the highest charisma as it goes? What, what, what is this... What is this charisma that you speak of as if it could be so easily quantified by a number that ranges from 1 to 18? The, the latest research three shows to 18. that most individuals play somewhere on a scale of from <laughs> 3 to 18. Oh, well, that's it. That, should, that, should, so ta- that should tell you a lot about Leopold's charisma. That he thinks you can go down to a 1. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> He's already given himself a minus 2. Look, I've only been playing since 1980. You've got to, you know, cut me some slack, man. Okay, so who's going first? Um, Well, I've I've, technically, I've probably got the lesser movement rate. (laughs) I think think, think we'll find find Weimar's got the lesser movement. Yeah, I'm happy to go first unless Leo wants to. I, I think I think I'll sort of be hiding. I think I'll be. I can imagine Harp sort of striding through the uh, through okay. the terrain, and Leopold Leopold is like uh, scurrying along behind, kind of curious. I mean, Brock is quite charismatic, but is um, he's buff. He's is he's new to the group, so he doesn't feel that he should be taking the lead in anything at this point. He's still trying to. Earn his, yeah, still find his, his place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite right. He should know his place. That's accurate. Yeah, any day now we're expecting Leo to learn his place. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it might be a long wait. 
Yeah, I reckon. Yeah, hot, hot, hot. Um, you know, you, you probably appeal to the majority of them folks there, and, and you've got the longest leg, so I'd reckon. Okay. So I guess I'll be taking the lead then. Mm-hmm. Okay, so at, given that you're a, a man of the wild, you know you know what to look for when you're moving through the wild, and obviously you've been in the wild song woods before, you know the sort of thing that lurk in there. You're being a little bit cautious, but you're still moving with relative speed. As you're getting nearer to the camp, you're just about to pass between a couple of trees when you notice that, and if you were moving quickly, you probably wouldn't have seen this, that someone has like strung a very thin cord between the trees in like a number of sort of heights and sort of tied they go over branches looped over branches and tied to the end there are a number of like metal objects you know like forks knives old like tin cans stuff like that as it seems like they've basically set up like a crude alarm system in case anyone tries to like just romp into their camp and how far away from the camp do we think we are you you may be sort of like 70 feet away from the camp give or take so what I think I'll do then is uh, stop and then call out hello to camp. Uh, we've come to visit. We mean you no harm. Okay, as you say that, do you hear a you hear a very serious sounding voice saying, uh, oh, "Be careful! We've we've strung up alarms uh, between the trees." But if you mean no harm, just just step around them and uh, come and share the warmth of our fire. Blessings of Leander on you. Ah, thank you. And I will step through the alarms and walk up to the fire. Yep. You all sort of presumably head in and head up to the fire. You can see a a, a dwarf sort of like looking a little bit reflective. He's sat there with his pipe. Uh, there's like a war hammer propped up in front of him, sort of leaning against his leg. He's wearing like furs and you can just see sort of like chain mail under it. There's a wooden shield like on the ground next to him. The, the man who addressed you as a a solemn looking fellow wearing these these long robes with like embroidered symbols of Leander on them and he's uh, you can see they've got a, a bit further on into the woods they've got like a, a few horses tied up and then you can also see there is an elf stood there he's wearing like he has like black feathers like sewn into his gear which tells you um, Harp that he's probably a member of the Raven clan they're they're a little bit of a they're regarded as a little bit of a morbid clan of elves who um, regard the sort of exodus from Valconan and the the sort of split of Rohalene as signs that this world is sort of basically sliding towards its end. Okay. He, as he sees that you're an elf, this uh, this figure walks over, and again in this sort of this quite sort of solemn, almost hollow sounding voice, he. He gives you like the old um, elven handshake and greets you in the, in the name of the Raven Clan. And okay. he introduces himself as a Rathak Alabar. And he, he then switches to common so that the rest of you can understand. And he gestures around and he says, uh, The fellow with the beard there by the fire is um, Durg in a hard coat. The dwarf just like raises his pipe and gives you an up nod. And he says, And this is our. This is our leader, and he gestures at the the cleric and says, "This is a Hiram McDaniel." At which point, the the, the clerical figure nods, and again he says, uh, "And the the blessings of Leander on you all this day." Indeed, he says, "Please 
come and share the warmth of the fire, such as it is. Although I don't know how much longer it'll last. The wind seems to be getting up a little. It does. It does. So I'll sit down um, somewhere near the elf and <clears throat> introduce us, uh, and then explain <clears throat> that we've come from New Zealand. We are out adventurers looking to uh, forge our way. Uh, to make New Zealand great um, and I guess ask why you're here and, and what, you're, what you're looking for or travelling towards Hiram the, the cleric again in his quite sort of sombre tones says uh, well I have been I've been travelling with my companions here for quite some time and uh, it is my belief that the the word of Leander needs to be brought to these heathen shores. And I, we have travelled across here on a great ship, uh, our company, whom we call the White Blades. We are travelling to the various settlements in so much as we can, preaching the, the good word of Leander. Uh, well, H Hiram, Hiram. Um, yes. In New Zealand, are you looking to settle down or are you on the move? Because our, he says, well, he says, well, uh, I, I am not currently looking to settle down, as you say. There, there is mm. much work to be done on these heathen shores. There are many people who have let their worship of Leander lapse, traveling to this. Uh, this newly recovered land, and I believe it is my, my the task that Leander has set before me to to preach the word as I travel, so that people will not forget that even though we have moved and we have moved back to our own our old homeland, that Leander is still with us and still smiles down upon us. Hmm. Unfortunately, we. Our community has lost their priest of late, and uh, they. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, it sounds like. Uh, yeah, it sounds like you're you're uh, you you've got other ideas, uh, other aspirations. Uh, uh, we'll 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 carry on looking. We'll carry on looking. Well, I'm sure if the the people of your village are good, uh, Leander following people that. Uh, and he sort of raises his hand up to the sky. I'm sure that he will provide. And as as this conversation is going on between Leopold and uh, Hiram, the rest of you are sort of looking around and taking in this adventuring group, the White Blades. And looking around, you can see that they are like tooled up. They're they're clearly not like oh we're like some scrubby like guys who are just setting out on a life of adventure. We've got like a a, sp a wooden spear and a hand axe between us. Mm. They they are like prepped. Mm. Do they have any recognizable livery or like indeed they do or symbology? And if you look at the map, you will see I have updated the the symbol so it no longer shows a tent. It shows a shield which has two white swords crossed over, and then a golden cross of Leander in the center of it. So there's some pretty big movers and shakers, are they? Is that recognisable then, to anyone? I tell you what, oh, 
anyone who wants to see if they recognise them, make me a make me a D six roll and tell me what you got. I mean, they're from overseas, though, aren't they? I've got one. Okay. I got five. Okay. I'm not rolling. I'm not impressed by that celebrity status. <laughs> no, if they're overseas, I, I think there's absolutely no chance of me. That's fair. None of them. So, so why more? You you vaguely remember hearing about the uh, the white blades? Uh, you're pretty sure you don't know a great deal about them, but you're pretty sure from what you've heard that they come from the the kingdom of Tosan, which is like a more sort of like religious ruled empire on Rohalene. Um it's 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 basically like the centre of Leander worship on Rohalene. Uh they they're actually recently engaged like before you left in a war with K Stone where you come from. Um because they the reason they gave us like oh the avarice of these like merchant princes in K Stone it's like an affront to Leander and a lot of people were like yeah, and it, but if you could take over their like trade routes, that'd be quite handy, wouldn't it? But um, with the discovery of Valcone and that sort of put an end to that war, which led to more sort of rumours that perhaps the um, the Tosin theocracy was just looking to like grab some more resources, and maybe now more were available, they didn't see the need to try and like grab Keystone's resources. But um, you, you remember hearing like that perhaps you think maybe they they perhaps fought in the war. Mm-hmm. But um, you don't really know any details. You know that they are supposed to have been around for like quite a while. So this isn't like a state company. It's a you know a free. Yeah, it's it's a it's a free operation. company. Yeah, and obviously you don't know the details because you're from a different like yeah, one yeah, of yeah. the different kingdoms. But you're pretty sure that they're like they're not just like first level adventurers. They're they've yeah. been around for a while. Uh, how many horses are there? Can we see? Three. Okay. As you're, uh, as you're sort of like taking all this in, and Leopold's finishing up his conversation with Hiram, the the dwarf Durgin Harcote, who's been sort of like gazing into the fire, to give you a bit of an up nod. He's not really said anything else. He's been like chuffing on his pipe, gazing into the fire. He looks over in your direction, and he go, and in very sort of like clipped tones, he's like. Not many of us about. Uh, you got that right. You got that right. I'm um, I'm Leopold Stavish, and um, to whom do I have the pleasure of addressing? Hardcut, Durgin Hardcut. Durgin Hardcut of the Hardcuts, then. Ah. Uh, Fine family. You're the first of. The cavalry I've seen since getting here. Yeah, there are a few of us, my friend. There are a few of us. However, I can report that uh, just north of here, there are some some old brothers. Mm-hmm. They call themselves uh, like frost dwarfs, and they they live on this isle, much depleted. I believe them to be the uh, original inhabitants. And I carry this frost axe and a, a, another. Yeah, he, uh, he has a glance over each other, like, hold up this frost axe, and he's like, good workmanship. Yeah, yeah. Allow me to, um, 
allow me to give you this as a as a gift of um, friendship. And I hand it across to him. No problems. Take it off your character sheet. He, he he nods and um, he sort of like gives it like a couple of experimental swings, you know, just like testing the weight of it. Probably like very gently like runs his thumb along the end of the the blade to test it for sharpness, and he's like, hmm. It may if you if you um, if you perhaps um, encounter them, you could uh, say that. Leopold passed this to you and perhaps it would uh, set you in good stead. Hmm. I will. Okay, so as the conversation is going on, is there any is there anything else you guys want to ask this um, group? Well, it'd be nice to know where they've been and what they've figured out. Okay, they're basically telling you that they they arrived here, they... They went first to the fort. They then travelled to the coast. They've been to like a couple of villages along the coast. So they've been to a, I forget what the name is, the other village, to a deer Deersum. Yeah, they've been to Deersum. They stopped there briefly, and they actually heard about New Zealand from the people of Deersum, and their plan was to sort of like skirt the edge of the forest travel across, travel to New Zealand, preach the word of Leander there, and then continue along the coast, seeing if there's any other villages. Um, but because of the weather, they thought it best to make camp within the bounds of the forest, you know, a bit of tree cover, and then like, when it comes to the morning, they're going to press on to New Zealand. I wonder if we should... Um, wonder if there's anything we could just, like, give them, a, like, a note In case our guards give them a hard time or anything. I think if they turn up with them, a man of religion, yeah. I think the elder of the the settlement will probably open them uh, openly, allow them in with open arms. You know yeah. that that's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That he obviously they obviously tell you you're welcome to like stay and share the fire for the evening if you want or if you need to move they're not going to be moving out until like first light the next morning but if you need to move on that's fine they understand um, they weren't expecting to meet anyone here and what time is it John is it getting late it's it's about it's just past noon it's still fairly early okay so we could probably move on and get at least back to the beacon by the end of the day could we Oh yeah, easy, yeah. Okay, so now I think we'll move on. Okay, no problems. <clears throat> so I don't have to uh, get upset with this cleric who won't stop talking about Leander. Yeah, and he does go on about Leander a lot. Yeah. Uh, okay, so you guys, a bit of fun farewell to the, the White Blades. You head back down to the bridge, trek up to the uh, to the beacon again. You see that um, Frank and Smith are still there. You know, they're like, they're like, oh, you're welcome to DOS down here for the evenings. It's starting to get a bit dark by the time you get there. Yeah. They, they, yeah. They've basically got like some like beans and like stew on the pot. Yeah, stick the kettle on, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like a good plan. You guys don't need to spend any rations for the day because they'll quite happily like lay out a bit of theirs. So that, that's grand. And you settle down for the evening. The, the next morning, you bid farewell to Frank and Smith and you resume your journey heading north. 
as you continue north about sort of halfway through the day you pass an area of the river which i will now indicate where it seems although it's slightly covered with snow it appears as though like sort of sand and silt from the river has sort of like collected uh, on the the far shore of it sort of in like a little ingress like perhaps the river used to curve a little bit wider but now there's just like a big like sandbank although it's obviously now covered with snow you continue moving through the day however just as you're about to settle down for the evening obviously you've got your teamsters with you you know they're, they're non-combatants have not added them to the party but you've got them with you they're like keeping track of the cart you're all riding on keeping track of the animals stuff like that or uh, charlie lewis and daniel cooper as you're moving along suddenly the the wagon drops down on one side and it would appear that the the wagon has become stuck in the mud and the slush and it's like sank in almost to like the top of the the right hand wheel on the wagon now you could you can obviously dig it out if you want but that will take a lot of effort and would result in you gaining a level of exhaustion and it would take pretty much all of you to do it because it's like a heavy old wagon hey so i'm going to bust out my engineering know-how at this point john okay and uh i'm going to suggest we rustle up a quick bit of craneage in 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 the form of uh knocking down a cup, couple of trees and making a little uh, a tripod that we can uh, uh, use to apply some mechanical advantage. Yeah, so I think that's absolutely fine. So, whereas it would have normally taken all of you like manhandling it out and it would have like exhausted you all, with um, Leopold's engineering knowledge, Okay, yeah, it takes you a bit of time to chop down the trees and stuff like that, but they're quite thin, they're pine trees, it's not really a problem. And again, it still takes a little bit of time, but because the this sort of improvised like winch slash crane that M. Leopold has told you how to set up is like taking most of the strain, although you guys feel a bit tired, you're not like thoroughly exhausted, so you don't actually gain any exhaustion levels. Nice. There you go. Bit of dwarven ingenuity there for you fellas. Stick and, that, uh, stick that in your textbook. And Brock would be trying to show his usefulness, putting a bit of extra muscle behind it. You know, he'll try and take the the brunt of the the heavy lifting sort of thing. Yeah, and I indeed, feel, I feel like he'd have been in there chopping down the old trees there as well. Yeah, oh, you, yeah. you certainly know without the bulging muscles of Brock Montaigne it would have taken you a lot longer to chop down the trees. For and sure. also, because obviously you still have to like pull on the ropes and everything, although, yeah, yeah. although the efforts are lessened, you see Brock sort of like bracing himself and his muscles bulging as he's like pulling these ropes. And you're pretty sure that without his sturdy aid, it, you'd have got it done, but it would have taken you a lot longer to do. So, so he's, it's definitely been useful having like this sort of muscly man mountain around to like take some of the brunt of the lifting. Busting out that 80s Ida Tiger soundtrack at that point. <laughs> so, in fact, you sure as you like listened, you just sort of listen over the windows. You can hear like. 
<laughs> and we have a we have a little bit of a we have a little bit of a montage as the snow whips his hair around like the gleaming <laughs> muscles of Brock Montanus is pulling these these ropes. That's it. <laughs> Rising up. Indeed. And you you reach the end of the evening. You all make camp. You all settle down. So you all need to eat a ration to like maintain your health. And unfortunately, when you awake the next morning, the the weather appears to have worsened. The snow is falling much heavier. And the wind is much more biting. We're getting to the sort of point where it's almost a a blizzard now falling. The temperature outside has dropped to perilous levels. You know that, like, if you were, if you weren't togged up, I mean, you're still feeling the cold despite all of your winter gear. You know that, like, if you were a person who like was unprotected by heavy furs and winter gear, could easily freeze to death in this weather. That's how cold it is, and it's also going to make it a bit more difficult to like spot things in the distance because of the heavy snow falling down. And it's also, however, on the upside, if you're trying to be stealthy, that's going to be a bit easier. The ground is thickly covered in snow, making it quite difficult to travel through. But, presumably, unless you say otherwise, you push on. Is, is there any way of experience um, allowing us to tell how long this is likely to go on for? How many days and... You know whether this is set in this weather or you know that mo- most past. most sort of blizzards like this they because we we're not you know that like they can last for like a long old time when it's like the depths of winter however we're still just heading into winter now so you think maybe a day or two mm. maybe three days if you're unlucky with your like local knowledge of Valconan and the weather patterns okay just bear that in mind if it, you know if it gets almost unbearable, whether there might be or yeah. Let let's push on the first day and see how yeah. far we get, and then we can decide. Okay. <clears throat> so you guys do indeed push on, and with the aid of Brock's local knowledge and your sort of skills as a woodsman, Harp you do make reasonably good time and because you're near the river it's not like you're moving through snowy woodlands or anything like that so you it takes you you maybe have to travel a little bit later into the evening but you do manage to make your sort of six miles for the day john we must be quite close to our old mate the um the old the old fella in the tent I can't think what his name was. The um, you have him in New Zealand, didn't he? Yeah, he's in New Zealand. Is he? Did we yeah. take him back there? Yeah, took yeah, him back yeah. There. Oh crap! However, okay. well, that get... was the right thing to do. Quite. However, as you're getting near to the end of the day, though, you do remember that as you're sort of looking around, you know that sort of just to the east, sort of around about here, where I'm sort of going to ping shortly 
which hopefully will come up. There we go. You do know that that's where you, a while ago, you found the sort of like the healing herbs. Um, you remember uh, the friar sort of like finding some healing herbs there. You also know that off to the the west, as you can see this as you're moving along, sort of on the, the bounds of a hill, there is what appears to be a a set of ruins, like maybe of a cottage or something like that. Um uh, yeah. It might pass to try and explore that on the way by. Uh, it, it is on the other side of the river. Yeah, that river's a bummer, isn't it? Yeah. I think we should leave it for now. <clears throat> In this yeah, blizzard, we don't want to get wet. Yeah, you might be right. You might be right, Mr. Harp. Okay. No have we come across anywhere where the river might actually have a, a natural ford where it gets, like, ankle deep? N not as yet, no. Okay. I guess we'd probably be looking out for something like that that we would mark on our map to yep. know how we can get. No problem at all. Okay, so you you make camp in the bounds of some trees. The night passes fairly uneventfully. You all need to eat a ration again. Obviously, because a day has passed. The, the next morning, the the weather conditions are relatively unchanged. Everything appears much as it was before, except the snow is now deeper. The wind still whistles through the nearby trees, although you've got a little bit of shelter thanks to them. The snow is piling up high outside. The temperature is still perilously low. As you're, as you're sort of getting ready to set up you know you're packing up your camp and stuff like that suddenly and it's very far distant to the east i mean we're talking miles and miles away you hear a very faint sound that sounds a bit like this but it appears to be coming from very far distant Let us continue north. I feel like the owner of that voice is not somebody we want to meet today. No, I'm I'm picturing a large bear-like creature. <laughs> okay. Or uh, what about our friend the Cyclops? Perhaps he's wandered out of his valley and... Is that how they sound like? I don't know. Well, I think it was sleeping <laughs> <I'm> just... last time. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily for you guys, you happen to have a, a native of, of Valconan with you. Now... Brock, you recognize this noise. You recognize it as the roar of a great frostworm. Frostworm? Indeed. Okay. You, know, you know that these large draconic creatures, in the inverse of most animals, they slumber deeply during the warmer months, waking only when the cold weather grips Valconan. And indeed, just off to the east, 
sort of in the the mountains and the icy plateaus you can just about make out a small but it must be quite big because you can see it at this distance speck in the sky like seemingly that circling one of the larger mountains partly shrouded by mist quick let's deploy some thumpers and head to the stony ground i'll radio in some foxes and we can be airlifted asap <laughs> <laughs> And I will tell you that's Worm with W-Y-R-M. Oh, okay, then that doesn't apply. Cancel what I said. Cancel the thumpers. <laughs> <laughs> the frost must flow. Indeed. He who controls the frost. So, um, in experience then, uh, are these things likely to attack like human settlements or are they go after animals? And You know, they, they, they will attack human settlements. They... They pretty much attack anything they regard as food, which to them is like anything smaller than them, which is most things. Um, you're, a lot of your people, because you like live on the ice flows and you're fairly spread out, you don't really have like big cities or anything like that, you tend to sort of like, you're normally all right, but there have been incidents of like small settlements of your people like being picked off by this sort of creature. And mm. it, it's regarded almost as like an omen of doom by your people. It's that big, is it? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. We, we can hear it from miles away. That's not a good sign, is it? Yeah. And the fact, even though it's only a small oh, speck, you can see it from miles away. Yeah. How far away is it, John? Is it on the glacier or is it? Oh, let me get, let me get my, um, my measuring stick out. I'll I wonder tell you exactly if, uh... how far away it is. So now I've just got to wait for my computer to allow me to how do they in. how do these things zero in on on creatures is there a way we could mask our presence mr brock as far as you're aware brock they pretty much go by like sight so like that's why they tend to go for like larger settlements and buildings because like they can see them from high up whereas because your people are scattered and they've only got like small huts and stuff like that a lot of the time you guys escape their notice so Perhaps we could dig a snow hole and get in, get, dig in, dig in. Right. With your keen elven eyes, Hop, you, you estimate it must be at least 50 miles away. Okay. Right. Jesus Christ. Bloody hell. And what sort of distance would you expect it to cover, you know, in the day? You, you know there's rumours of it, like, moving as fast as the winter winds, but there's no, like... There's no sort of ice walkers who've like exactly measured how far it moves. No. Because they're, they're basically, as far as your sort of like legends go, obviously it's couched in legend and superstition. As far as your people are concerned, they're like, by the time you've heard it and you've seen it, you're probably already late. dead. Yeah. Mm. Well, let us head north and we can keep an eye on us. Okay. No yeah, well, that's, that's a long way away. For, uh, yeah. little specs like us at the moment yeah but if it if it if it heads at the speed of the winter wind you know that that's going to be here pretty quick yeah you but know, I... it's not like us mugs slogging yeah. along in the, in the in the snow this thing's like rattling along there yeah but we can like, keep an eye on it if it's starting to get bigger we know it's getting closer and we can scatter. It, yeah yeah, Mr. Hart, with respect, it's not me keeping an eye on this thing. 
it's it keeping an eye on my dwarven self is what's <laughs> concerning me. <laughs> I, f- I, f- I feel you're you're probably the safest amongst us. As I look down at, at your your um, vertically challenged. What are you trying self. to say? What are you trying to say? Because I'm the I'm probably the one that can dig myself a hole the quickest and secrete myself within the the snowy surrounds. Well, your hole would certainly be smaller than anyone else's. <clears throat> yeah. I, don't I think can think so- of a hole that I'm going to shove my fist in shortly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think its eyesight is quite quite as good as as uh, our elven friend here. And if he we- is, we can just feed him the dwarf. It'll be fine. Mm. We'll see how fine that goes. Yeah, if it comes to that, unfortunately, it, it would have all of us as a well. Room. It's your funeral. That's all I'm saying. Okay. So with much discussion, you guys continue your journey northwards. During the day, you you start passing through a range of hills that you've been through previously, the Ruin Hills. And you can see that sort of like a couple of miles to like the sort of like northeast, so sort of like around about here-ish. The, the sort of hills are, if it'll ping it, the hills are sort of like fairly heavily forested there. And you know that sort of to the, uh, you sort of pass a, a hill cave just to your west, and you know that this is the cave where you previously encountered those strange dogmen with the sort of bony tails. And you know that beyond that, half a dozen miles further to the west, on the other hill, are the ruins of the Temple of the Sun that you visited previously. The weather, that's, the, that's the place with the beetles, yeah? Indeed. Yeah, yeah. The well, weather has died. started to subside a little the there's still snow falling but it's no longer a blizzard much as Brock predicted the the blizzard seems to have spent most of its fury and the snowfall slows slightly as you move you all make a camp for the evening on top of a small hillock so you've got a good range of movement around you the night passes fairly uneventfully again you'll need to eat a ration At the, at the end of the, the day, John, what's the update from the the worm? Sort of sound-wise, is it got any closer? or? Well, I think now's probably a good time to find out, to be honest. So, what I'm going to ask you to do, Brock, is can you please roll me a d6 and let me know what you get? A 6. A 6, Okay, so as you're as you're sort of on the lookout for this thing because you've heard its loud roar, and obviously you're especially given your people's sort of history with it, you've sort of you're wary of it. I think it's fairly safe to say mm-hmm. you do spot what appears to be the shadow 
of a large creature flying out of the mountains to the east and moving further inland. And you should be able to see it on the map. Yeah, yeah. Now, bear in mind, it's still like miles and miles away from mm. you guys. I mean, we're talking like it's at least like 15 plus miles away from you guys. But it's big. It's very big. And it's this large, bluey, white, draconic looking creature, which as it flies, you can hear the distant like. <laughs> of its wings as it occasionally flaps them but most of the time it is fairly silent as it glides on the cold air away from the glaciers as you're watching sort of later on in the day just as you guys are sort of settling into your camp you see the creature appears to sort of fold its wings and it dips down below the tree line into the hills and as you watch you see it emerge back climbing up into the sky with great flaps of its membranous wings and clutched in its its rear sort of claws is one of the giant sheep that you encountered in the forest previously some of you and it sort of swoops up into the air and is disappears into the clouds carrying this giant sheep with it okay Were those sheep horse size? Yeah. Okay. They were massive. They were like the Cyclops' giant sheep. Yeah, yeah. And indeed, against the sort of white of the, the background as it climbs up, you can see that the sheep has like the red splotch mark that you saw previously. Okay. And uh, what time is it now? Have we... You're basically just camping down for the evening. Okay. Uh, as we said, you've already taken your rations off, so you don't need to worry about that again. The the next morning, you wake up. The, the The snow is still falling, but throughout the day, it started to turn to rain. And as the day goes on, you hear what appears to be the, the dull rumble of thunder in the distance and you see like flickering flashes of lightning I was just thinking that worm flying worm thing yep you know that could get down to New Zealand couldn't it well speed it's going yeah we might have to think about some potential defensive measures against such threats yes definitely what's our sage up to nowadays what have we got him on in a minute well when you last set him a task it was you sort of interrupted him looking for treasure rumours and you set him the task of finding out more about this curse that Mark was apparently labouring under this weird sort of skin um, sort oh, right. of uber acne that he seems to have and whether the, the sort of skull ring that he found had anything to do with it. Right. 
I wonder if he's a bit of a Leonardo da Vinci type of guy that could turn his hand to devising um, military defences as well as arcane whatever, you know. wonder if he can... Uh, in a giant you know. crossbow yeah you know like a sort of yeah and, Wonder, and as you're sort of pondering this like you know packing up your camp getting ready to like move sort of debating whether to go back whether to carry on you hear the, the dim sound like the slightly distant sound of horses and hooves moving through the snow and as you look in the direction of the sound you see what appears to be one of the villagers from New Zealand riding on a horse he's got like a couple of coats on pulled around himself and he's like galloping this horse as he sort of sees you all he sort of like waves his hand to attract your attention and then he stops like galloping the horse towards you oh right as he draws level with your like your partially packed up camp he pretty much almost falls off his horse you can tell he's probably been like riding through the blizzard like yeah his, I'll, his I'll, I'll rush over it's cold yeah I'll rush over to try and aid him there you you help him up, and he's like, he's like, oh, then you see his lips are chapped, there's like frost in his beard. He's like, oh, thank you, thank you. I I, I wasn't sure I'd be um, I'd be able to catch you. Quilak sent me. What um whatever whatever uh is the matter? You seem in a a fair old state there, my friend. He says um yes. Uh, Quilak uh, sent me north with a, um, a message for, and he, he looks around you, and then he points at Harp, and he's, uh, a message for you. What he did you say? He says, uh, he says, wait, wait a moment, he, he made me memorise it. Uh, he he said to tell you that he he doesn't think your curse, and he said he, he did that when he said curse. He doesn't think your curse is a is a, a magical effect, more a. Uh, more a, a, a like to a disease or a skin condition that has been afflicted on you. He says, uh, from what he from what he can work out, though the the ring that you asked about um, may have uh, some healing powers to it. That although they aren't connected, if you were if you were to wear the ring, it may actually help with your condition. Okay. And uh, did he give you the ring to bring to me? Yes, yes. Uh, at which point, maybe a d6 roll. Anything but one, you find he's still got it. Oh, okay. Three. He, I had a terrible he, feeling about it. He, he spends like five minutes sort of going like this, <laughs> and then he, and, and he doesn't seem to be able to find it. Then he like pulls off his boot, and there's like a fairly pungent aroma wafts into the air. He's like obviously not changed his clothes for a while, and he reaches down, and on one of his like slightly manky toes, he's like put this skull ring on his like nice. toe so he didn't lose it. He pulls it off, and he hands you over this now like very cheesy smelling ring. Okay. And he goes, there you go, P put it on my foot, keep it safe so I didn't lose it. And he like, holds it out to you. Yeah, very good. So I'll just take it. Yeah, in my gloved hands. <laughs> yeah, it's it's ripe. <laughs> cheese for that. <laughs> and he, he he sort of he starts like reciting like a because he Quilax like told him a little about this ring, and he starts sort of reciting like he pauses every now and again. He's obviously like struggling to like remember some of what he was told or like he doesn't really sort of 
understand he's just repeating it by rote but I'm going to tell you that the, the ring you have is a ring of regeneration if you are wearing this ring and I'm going to go into game mechanics a bit just to speed this up if you're wearing this ring you will regain one hit point per round it, yeah. can, it can also technically which may be of interest to you guys it can also regrow severed limbs although that, okay. will, that will take some time it can't ah. regrow it can't regenerate fire or acid damage, and if you're reduced to zero or less hit points, i.e. your brown bread, it ceases to function. Okay. <laughs> Hold on. It can't regenerate fire or acid damage. Indeed. <laughs> It'd be a shame if you had a fire sword. <laughs> yeah, that is. <laughs> oh. oh, dear. But he, uh, he says, uh, he says, well, uh, I think that's everything he told me. Um, if there's nothing else, I'm gonna I'm gonna head back for New Zealand. I want to get back there in case another of those storms comes in. And he sort of like yeah. lo looks a little bit sort of apprehensively, like the lightning crackling around the the dark, pendulous clouds in the distance. Okay, so before you go, uh, can you give Quirak a message for us? Um, yes, of course. Um, what, what do you want me to? What do you want me to tell him? Uh, tell him that we have seen a frost worm. That they are very large, uh, and that we feel like his next priority should be some form of defensive <clears throat> mechanism against creatures, very large flying creatures. Uh, he, he, he repeats back to you a couple of times what you said, so like, and he's like, "Okay, so Frost one," and, he, and he's obviously trying to remember it. And after like a few minutes, he's like, "Right, yeah, I think I've got it." He repeats it back to you one last time, and you're like. Yeah, that's what we said. And he's like, right, well, if there's nothing else, and he, he starts sort of like climbing back onto his horse. I'm going to take a look at him and his horse and make an assessment whether he should be travelling straight away or not. He, he, he looks a bit rough, but like as long as, there's, long as there's not another blizzard, you think he'll probably be all right. And the horse as well? The horse, similar sort of state. I mean, obviously he's been like, because he knows he's reliant on the horse to get here and back. He's obviously been like neglecting himself a bit to like take care of the horse. Okay. Yeah, I'm just uh, making sure that he, he knows what he's doing as, as regards to the weather. Yeah. You give him a look over, you think he'll be all right. Okay. I'll give, him a bit of a, I'll be, give him a bit of advice on, you know, stay close to the trees if yeah. the winds get up and stuff like that. You've discharged your duty of care. Hmm. Indeed. That's right. So, do you guys push onwards? I feel like he should have rested myself, but there you go. He, he obviously knows what he's doing. He's, he's a hardy messenger. Yeah. Um, so, I will put on the Ring of Regeneration, see if I can cure this disease. Um, and then I think we should push on. Okay, yes. so, it, it doesn't like insta-cure it, but as you... Really? As you as you sort of put it on, you do start feeling, because obviously it itches like mad, because like I said, it's like uber acne, effectively. As you put it on, you do notice like the itching is like lessened to a more comfortable level. Okay. Uh, and, I, and I would tell you now that when you awake next morning, your acne will be gone, so you can remove the penalty for that now. Okay, perfect. Because it's just like a minor skin condition, so it can cure that like rapid. Obviously like broken bones and stuff like that, it's a bit longer. Yeah. Uh, Perhaps we should get Weimar to try on his leg. Well, let me cure my acne first, and then we yeah. can give it to Weimar. Well, in the morning, you'll be yeah. better. Okay. 
so you guys push onwards traveling a another six miles northwards you're just starting to enter <laughs> i was just thinking because we want harp to look his best never mind why more hobbling around on his <laughs> <laughs> My penalty is, is far worse, to be fair. <laughs> okay, so you have just started entering the the southern sort of part of the Grey Heights. The land starts sloping upwards as it becomes first hilly, and then as you continue on, it starts becoming mountainous. The terrain is a lot more rocky here, and there are thick snow drifts piled up around. The, the rain is still coming down quite heavily, although the lightning seems to have spent itself and it is now just a, an absolutely miserable or wet experience as you trudge on. Luckily, you've all got like, you've got like a tarp over the wagon, you know, so you guys are pretty protected from it, but you can hear the sound of the rain battering down on this tarp as you continue towards the north. As you enter the Grey Heights, you're sort of looking around, at the end of the day, you're looking around for a place to camp. And you notice, first, you notice a, a few sort of odd, like, browny, sort of grey-like streaks on the snow, sort of in patches as you're sort of heading through this area. And if we investigate them, what do we find? You head over to them, Harp, and you have a look at them. And you're pretty sure like, what, what you're seeing streaked on the snow is bat guano. Okay. Oh, nice. And judging like by lots, the... Lots yeah, of little bats are... It, it's difficult to tell. I mean, there's a lot of guano. But judging from the streaks, it looks as though, like, wh whatever left this dung was sort of, like, heading to the sort of, like, the, the northeast. Okay. Probably, perhaps it came from like the forested hills over to the northeast. You're not sure. Okay. Just trying to think if there's any sort of like uh, any useful purpose for that, but well, you, you I, I will tell you that you would know that like when. Back guano is dried. I mean, obviously, this is like damp because it's in the snow. Yeah. But when it's dried, it's actually really useful as like kindling. Because right. like once it's dried, it like lights very easily with like a flint and steel. Pretty good on your uh, in your for agricultural purposes as well. Yeah, exactly. As a fertilizer, I mean, depending mm. on what the bats have been eating, but generally, it's quite good as a fertilizer. Mm. Okay, so we're getting to the end of the day. Obviously, you pick up a less dung-splattered like place to to set up camp. You will all need Indeed, to yes. you'll you need to eat another ration as another day has passed. Yeah, and you all sit down and have a, a bit of a smoke, and you all take your various watches during the course of the evening. I also want to um, consider the next day's journey through the mountains with regards to the cart, and you know, trying to think of a a route that will be best suited for what we're trying to do. Make me a d6 roll, bro. A five. Yep, yeah, you're pretty sure that 
you can the, the you know there's numerous sort of like passes and sort of like trails through the mountains you're quite familiar with them you're pretty sure you can make good time moving through the mountains thanks to your knowledge of them okay whereas you know that if you were just trying to obviously we're moving straight in a straight line on the map but you know if you were literally moving in a straight line like it'd take you ages but you're able as you sort of start moving again and you head off in the morning brock is able to like direct you through like slightly less impassable areas saving you a good deal of time although the going's still quite slow and the next morning as you move again traveling deeper into the gray height again you pass numerous areas that are speckled with this this bat dung and you know those of you who knew him that about six miles to the east just on the edge of the forested hills lies the empty grave of John Cameron, one of your previous companions. Are they are they one mile hexes, them little ones, John, are they? They are one point two mile hexes. Oh one point two. So the the next size up is a six mile hex. That's correct, yeah? yeah. And then you go to the eighteen. Yep. Gotcha. Okay, so as you guys are sort of travelling through the through the grey heights, making good time thanks to the expertise of Brock Montaigne. Is there anything you guys particularly want to do as you're travelling? Or are you just like head down, eyes on the prize? Certainly keeping an eye out for any sort of uh, signs of any flying creatures, bats or worms or anything else that would catch us off guard in the in the bad weather. Okay. No I'll just spare I'll just spare a thought for me old me old uh young and somewhat impetuous companion who fell at the uh, at the Battle of the Beatles indeed I tried to tell him I tried to tell him not to rush in but yeah because Leopold's well known for his cautious nature uh, you know <laughs> the you know there's one thing rushing in when you're a grizzled dwarf but when you're but a but a youngster you need to be careful Still, he paid. He, he he paid the ultimate price, unfortunately, and Quite he was so. he was he, he, he was snuffed out in his prime. Very true. Very true. Okay, so you make camp for the evening. Luckily, thanks to Brock and again Hobbs, sort of putting their heads together because his local knowledge and your sort of general wilderness knowledge complement each other very well. You're able to find like a. A sort of sheltered like crag that you can camp under you check it out for animals make sure there's nothing dangerous but it provides you a good deal of shelter from the winds and you settle down for the evening obviously all taking your various watches i've got a couple of nicknames for you fellas i'm gonna call brock lewis and harp clark <laughs> okay now as as you're sort of settling down for the evening What's Weimar making of this journey thus far? Probably having a hell of a time going in the ever-increasing amount of snow, really. Indeed, to, to be honest, you're glad that like you guys can mostly sit on a cart yeah. and sort of rumble through it, because you like, especially with your wooden leg, if you were trying to like foot-slog it through it, it would be an absolute nightmare. Yeah. yeah. I was actually thinking, like, what would be a, a way that we could have access to to make it somehow not as terrible. And I was thinking maybe we have like a pelt of fur that he's just wrapped around the peg 
just to make it bulkier so that it's not just a fucking pin <laughs> that is pushing into the snow. Uh, give it a little bit of bulk or something. Um, but yeah, it's it's a lot of like moping around, I guess. <laughs> uh, feeling like useless now uh, in a way uh, because uh, of the weather conditions more than anything else, really, because he otherwise he's fine, but the weather yeah. is going to be... Uh, a big problem, I, I think, as we uh, go into the deep winter for him. So he's he's uh, having a period of adjustment here. Indeed, and it's a fairly... Obviously, you've got a bit of shelter when you make come, but it's a fairly miserable experience for all of you because you've been travelling through snow for a number of days, so like the wet started to like soak into like your furs and stuff like that, and it's been hammering it down with rain for the past couple of days. So you're all stuck, although it, it's not sort of like, you're not cold to like the perilous points, you've got multiple layers and stuff like that. And obviously when you set up a, a camp for the evening and you get a fire going, you dry your sort of outer layers as best as you can. But it's still sort of fairly a fairly wet and miserable slog. But as you as you sort of settle down for the evening, I'm gonna ask, why Mark, can you please roll me a D6? In fact, no, it'll be a D7, so you'll have to type that in, I'm afraid. The the other thing is there. Uh, I, I want to address Mister Harp as to whether we should uh, try Weimar out with his ring, this ring of regeneration. Yes, definitely. Okay. Yep. So obviously you've got this ring of regeneration. I won't worry about adding it to your character sheet now, uh, Weimar. But you're given this little sort of silver ring with like a little skull on it, which. You've been told by the messenger from Quelac it's apparently a ring that can allow you to regenerate even grievous yeah. wounds given enough time. Although you have been told that it can't regenerate fire or acid damage. So, as you all settle down for the evening, you all take your various watches, you drift off to sleep, you'll all need to eat another ration. As you've all sort of drifted off to sleep, Leopold, in the middle of the night, you're woken yes. up by someone like nudging you. Okay. I um roll over. Who's nudging me? You uh, you sort of crack open one eye and as you sort of peer around, you can see what appears to be Gordon Sinclair, your retainer who's been accompanying you and you know like it must be his watch because he's like wearing all his kit he's like out and about and he's like Leopold Leopold what what he's like shh shh, shh. he's like I, I, I saw something moving uh, uh, only very briefly against the night sky uh, something big how big he's like that big Maybe. But that ain't that big, is it? That's like about the size of a pumpkin. He says, he says, yeah, well, if I saw a pumpkin flying as well, I'd wake you up. Fair enough. And as he's saying that in the distance, you hear a, a faint sound. Hmm. And briefly against the, the moonlight and the clouds rolling across the sky, you see what appeared to be several large shapes and you hear the flapping of memorious oh, yeah. wings. Still, still our bat friends. 
Um, but as, as you sort of see one silhouetted against the moon, th these aren't normal bats. They're considerably bigger. Yeah. I'll boot up, I'll boot up whoever's next to me. Uh, probably Harp. Give him a dig. Okay, yes, a hop. You're waiting for that Leopold, that digging his elbow into you. And it, you feel like a sharp stabbing pain in your side. Well, a sharp stabbish pain in your side, does he? <laughs> As that Leopold like jabs you with his elbow. Uh, we've got a company, Harp. Okay, so I'll drop off my ball. And um, whilst he's like arming up, and I point in the direction, giving some. Something to look for, I'll rouse up okay. the rest of our number. Now, like both of you are awake, and you can sort of like compare notes effectively, because obviously Leopold and uh, Harp, you're the you're the ones with the night vision. Yeah. So, like having like a quick count, you would estimate there's maybe nine or ten of these like creatures, sort of like flocking around, for want of a better term. Okay, what do we know about these things? Do we know about echolocation and stuff like that? Probably not, no. Uh, you, you know, they you would probably know that they have they have extremely sensitive hearing. Mm -hmm. they, they they will eat meat as easily as they eat fruit and vegetation. They you know from previous experience that one of them that a lot of them were scared off by like why am I discharging his his firearm because they're sensitive to sound. They're, they're not exactly like raging berserkers. They're animals. They can be scared off, but yeah. they they have been known to attack people. Of course, it was Harp who ran into them, wasn't it? Yeah. How far away from us are they? Not very far, and they seem to be getting closer. Perhaps okay. drawn by like your campfire. Okay. Which obviously, um, your retainer has been sort of tending as the uh, as the evening has gone on. Okay, so. Uh, Weimar's our best man for this job with his blunderbuss of doom or whatever that is hmm. <laughs> that's fire stick that he brandishes the boom stick <laughs> so distance wise what are we talking about you're talking maybe 60 feet Um, I'm not sure if it's mentioned anywhere how close they would have to be for the, I guess, people who can hear it. Yes, basically, yeah. <laughs> so that is quite a large area of effect there. Yeah, particularly at the minute because you're like elevated and you're in these yeah. echoey mountains. So. Yeah. So if I can have a, a sort of understanding of the general direction to cover the most <laughs> uh, I'll I'll set about firing them okay now are you specifically firing at one of them or are you just like <laughs> trying to um, well I guess I'll try I'll give it a good old keystone try <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> uh, while I'm firing it I guess okay that's absolutely fine so make an attack roll with your firearm uh, here it goes um, shit, I don't have the the range rules here at hand, but let's see what what this is. That's that's it doesn't matter because <laughs> that was bad. Okay, yep. so you fire it, but since you don't have night vision and they're they're, they're dark sort of black brown creatures against mm -hmm. a black sky, you pretty much just like point in the vague direction of the sound, 
and yep. fire it. However, that is enough to force them to make a morale check because they they've heard it and they're susceptible yep. to sound. They don't have fuck. They don't have uh, black powder technology, so no, they don't. They're most certainly surprisingly don't. That, they that'd don't. be scary. A giant bat with like a blunderbuss oh, yeah. to each wing. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> underground, quick. Okay, so you fire your firearm, but unlike previously, it doesn't appear to distract. It gives them a sound to like home in on, and these nine giant bats swoop down. However, luckily, because you guys said you were basically getting everyone up and you were getting yep. everyone ready, yep. like you're pretty much ready for them when you come in and they're swooping in, so you guys will get to act first. So. I'm just going to go through my list. I'm not going to roll initiative or any of that tomfoolery. So, Brock, you are awake. You've, you've all been roughly told what's going on because Leopold was going around like, waking you up while Wildmob was getting his gun ready. You've seen these like these nine shapes sort of like dive bombing in. You can hear this chittering and this maddening flapping of membranous wings. What do you do? Um, are they going to be honest? Sort of imminently. Yeah, they're literally like diving in to like come at you. Effectively, they're charging. Normally, they if you weren't ready, they would have got to attack all of you straight away. But because you guys knew they were coming, you're sort of ready to receive them. So if people want, they can attack them in hand-to-hand combat. Have we got any sort of defensive position where we can limit how many there are, or is it fairly open where we are now? Well, you did specifically find, thanks to you and Harp, you found this sort of like crag where you were sort of sheltered. So I'm going to say, if you want to take cover, you can all add a plus two to your armor class. Effectively, during this combat, you can hide behind like the rocks and stuff like that. Okay, but but we'd still be able to attack from that position to cover. Or? Yes, you would be able to. You just like pop yeah. out, attack, and then duck back down. Okay. Well, I'm gonna basically uh, as soon as they get into a position where. I can take advantage of the cover and still make a attack. I shall do so. Yep, not a problem. Make your attack roll. Okay. Uh, I shall give it large with my two-handed sword. Nice. So, from behind the rock stands up this oiled, muscle, towering specimen of a man with like a shh, pulls this double-bladed sword off his back and swings it and luckily unluckily for you their AC is 13 so you swing at one of these giant bats you've got it dead to rights then at the last moment it sort of banks sharply to one side and your blade swishes through the air I should have used your inspiration now curse (laughs) it's agility okay now which one of you would like to roll for Caroline Dixon? Because she's there as well. I'll do that. Okay, no problem. So if you go to, you should be able to bring up the character sheet in the, the player party bit. Oh, Carolina. Go on, go. Give us some. Load, load up Dickie then. Oh, look at that. Okay, so as we said, Caroline is like eager to get into that adventuring lifestyle, and she obviously wants to like prove, you know, like she she can be a good adventurer. But she gets a little bit overly enthusiastic. Yeah, and classic. She, she basically leaps out from cover, hoping to like 
do the dramatic like hero attack swinging it she's got like a wooden shield and a hand axe she swings the shield and the hand axe towards this bat like covering herself and swinging the axe but this bat sort of just like banks away a little bit and a swing rather like Brock her swing goes through mid-air then she suddenly looks around realising that she's no longer in cover classic rookie mistake there the impetuous rookie mistake indeed I've seen it so many times before okay who would like to roll for Dickie Simpson uh, I've got his character sheet here if you want me to yep, yeah, go for it likewise for he's got a hand axe and a shield you can't do any worse than Carolina. No, but not much better either. Not much better either. <laughs> okay, so he's he swings his axe as well, but he's a he's a little bit more he's less out to impress you guys than uh, than Caroline is. So he, he sort of swings his axe, realizes like, oh I've not I've not got the reach to get this like bat, and he quickly ducks back down behind the rock, so he's still got cover at least, and he's put his like shield up above his head to like cover himself. It's like when you trip in the street and pretend you're just like breaking so, into a job. Going forward we will have we'll have Harp make the rolls for Caroline and um, Brock make the rolls for Dick Simpson. So when I call out the names you guys just roll or do what yep. you will with them. Okay, so who's going to roll for Gordon Sinclair, your retainer, your actual retainer? Oh, I'm happy to again. Oh, well, awesome. whatever. Okay, that, that's absolutely fine. Oh, that's getting better. A 14 for four down points of damage. Okay, so being a little bit more practiced and a bit more used to being in dangerous situations than your two sort of men at arms hirelings, and obviously having seen someone like, without meaning to like go into it, the shit that you guys get into, he he like doesn't step out of cover at all. He literally like pops out a little bit, pulls his longbow back. There's the twang of the the bowstring, and an arrow zooms through the air. And it strikes one of these bats that lets out this high-pitched chittering noise. You see the arrow like punch through its membranous wing. It hasn't killed the creature, but he's definitely damaged it. Okay. There you go. That's how you do it. Okay, Leopold. Show us Good how shot, Gordon. Mr. Sinclair. Good job. And I will break out Misery's End and crack one of these creatures with it. Okay. Doosh. Make your attack roll. There you go. Huh. Okay. You hurl miseries and at literally as this creature banks away, the arrow going through its wing to try and get away from Sinclair, you sort of like pop out from the rocks next to him, hurl miseries end. It spins through the air, striking this thing in its body and basically pulping it and carrying on through it as this bat pretty much explodes and then Misery's End sort of loops around and returns to your waiting hand nice there are now only eight of the creatures remaining Harp it's over to you you've seen Leopold and Sinclair working together have felled one of the great beasts okay so what I want to do is uh, jump out from behind my uh, stone yep Grab Caroline Dixon and push her back into cover. 
that's fine. That that that'll be your movement action, so you can still make an attack. You're you're pretty much like get down and like pull her back behind. Okay, Cover. and then with my offhand, I will just uh, swing my sword at the nearest bat. Go for it. And miss, I think. Yes, I miss. Indeed. Unfortunately, you're so preoccupied with like, getting Caroline back behind cover, you just sort of like swing wildly and it doesn't manage to hit one of the creatures. However, we've still got um, the man, the legend, Weimar Lone Grove of the Wooden Leg. Up a lock. Mm. So, I guess I'd be generally closed by a harp. Yeah. Uh, as we've been the the sort of artillery yeah. barrage. We're keeping it fairly low, so obviously you guys yeah. can be roughly yeah. sort of where you need so, to be. Talk to the pistol back in. I don't have the time to reload it. Um, it's true. And um, no, it's just out comes the sun sword. Um, <laughs> so have... the, the scene you're in is suddenly lit by this amber glow as he pulls out this sun sword. Flames lick around the blade, illuminating the scene and actually making it a lot easier to see the bats. So you will now all get a plus two to your attack rolls because you can now see them. And Weimar, in a voice that's not his own, goes, Come at me, you furry devils! I was like, <laughs> Weimar says in a voice not his own, he's like, You fool, this is my hour. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, he, he goes in for the for the swing, sort of like, because Harp is doing the, like, get back into cover. Um, so I'll, I'll be sort of supporting that. It was like coming in yeah, after the it. fact. It's like, yeah, like fending them off. Uh, and uh, let's see how that goes. Sun sword. Here we go. Come on. Praise Gale. Whoa. <laughs> okay, so you swing your sword. You only managed to catch one of the creatures, a glancing blow to its furry body. But there is a, a satisfying sort of sizzle as a few like splatters of blood from the creature fall on the flaming blade of the sun sword and like as the blood evaporates almost instantly. Okay, we then come to the creatures. There are eight of them. So what I'm going to do is I am just going to... I'm basically going to just work my way down the line and have like one attack each person rather than roll like an absolute rook ton of dice. So first of all, we're going to have one attacking Brock. Okay, it hits. Okay, so you take two hit points of damage, Brock, as one of these creatures sort of zooms in, like bites a small chunk out of your shoulder, and then sort of flap, flapping its wings sort of rises up away from you. Okay, so then we have one attacking Caroline Dixon. And also, I'm taking into account you've got the plus two. That has hit. That does two hit points of damage to Caroline Dixon. I'm relying on whoever's rolling for them to like yeah, track the hit points. Taking care of you. So yeah, literally, just as you're pulling down like Caroline Dixon into cover, half one of these creatures like sort of zooming like claws at her back before the two of you are able to just like bat it away. Lead up cause of any damage. No pun intended. Okay, so the one attacking Dick Simpson. misses so it comes screaming in as we said previously dick simpson's got his 
shield up above his head and it scrabbles at the wooden shield but is unable to get through it. So the one attacking Sinclair. Again, also misses as it comes towards him. He, this is just for flavour. He like fires off an arrow in its direction and it wheels to avoid it. Okay, one attacking Leopold. It gets nowhere near you. You sort of like, again, just for flavour, you like throw Misery's end and it wheels away to avoid that and the hammer comes back into your hand. Doesn't get anywhere near you. Okay, one attacking Malcolm. Again, one comes towards you and you're able to fend it off, no problems. Okay, one coming for Weimar. Misses you, but only thanks to your cover. So as it comes in, you duck behind the rocks and it has to like wheel away from you to avoid like smashing into this rocky outcropping. Now the two that the two that are remaining, I'm gonna do against your two hirelings, Caroline and Dick Simpson. So one against Caroline. Misses. Obviously you've managed to get her into cover harp. And the one against Dick Simpson. There's only eight now, isn't there, John? Yeah, there's two, there's two left, and that's it. I thought there were seven of us. There is. Oh, yeah, you're right, yeah. My apologies. I just thought there'd only be one left over, I mean. That's fine. Ignore that last one, which didn't do anything. It wouldn't have done much anyway. Okay, so it's back round to your guys' turn again. So, Brock... Obviously, uh, the air is full of flapping furred bodies. People are shouting, diving behind cover, raising shields. You can yeah. hear Hart being like, Caroline, get down! So, yeah, I shall, uh, with a, a more target-rich environment, I'm going to swing through the uh, air and just hope to hit something with this, this large weapon. Go for it. Oh, he's useless. Okay, so again, you swing your sword, but you're unable to land a blow on one of the creatures. I'm going to start cursing at their speed. Indeed. They, with your sort of heavy sort of weapon, obviously you're swinging quite strongly, but it's a bit slow to like move. And these creatures are like masters of the air. They're everywhere. Okay, Caroline Dixon, now behind cover. What's she doing? She is just going to uh, swing her hand axe. Okay. Ooh, not so much. Okay, so she swings her hand axe, but obviously she's sort of slightly thrown off balance. She's like literally just grabbed her and flung her behind cover, and she doesn't manage to get near it. Let's see if Dick Simpson can do any better. On oh, Dick. No. <laughs> well, unfortunately, not now. You you know for a fact that like you coming, I mean, you guys have hired these people. They're just like sort of standard men at arms. They're used to like fending off wolves, maybe, and like patrolling wa walls. Being attacked by like giant bats is probably a first for most of them. They're not adventurers, so you're not surprised that they're not really sort of like up to snuff as far as you guys are concerned. Maybe Gordon Sinclair can do better though. They're really hard to hit anyway. I'm not. Yeah, they're, they're moving so quickly and wheeling and looping around in the air, and it's very difficult to hit. 
either Gordon oh. Sinclair with his longbow, he, f- he fires an arrow and it just glances one of the creatures, sort of causing a very shallow wound on it. Leopold, you see this arrow just like slice the very edge of this creature's body. What do you do? Leopold's gonna, when one swoops down nearby, as maybe that one that when he threw the hammer, it kind of like put it off. And as it sort of took a vase of action, he's gonna like try and grab hold of it and then just hit it upside the head. Uh, you know, like hang onto its foot or grab its wing or something, and just like. Are you like just bashing it into the ground, or are you hitting it with something? Yeah, yeah. He's like going to kind of see if he can grab hold of it, pull it down, and then just goom crown it on the head. Okay, roll me a d twenty. Is that not rolled? Okay, roll me 2d6. Uh, see, fortune favours the bold there. Ooh. Okay, so what happens is you see this creature as it's as the arrow's fired from Gordon Sinclair. It gets, like, grazed by this arrow, and it sort of wobbles a bit and sort of, like, dips down low as it sort of put off its flight path. And you literally, like, jump up from behind this rock you're in, grab both its wings and go, boom! And, like, smash it into this rock. And just this spray of, like, bat blood just, like, sprays all over you as you pretty much just pulp it into this rock. Sinclair, like, looks over towards you and he's like, hmm. And then he's like... (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Wiping down his face. Indeed. Okay, hop. Uh, okay, so because Caroline is injured, what I want to try and do is attack one of the creatures and then put myself between her and the creatures, ideally so that she can't be attacked and I'll be attacked twice. That's absolutely fine. You can certainly do that. Make your attack roll. There are currently six of these creatures left. And there are still six when I'm finished. Indeed. So unfortunately, because you spend so much time like manoeuvring like Caroline, who is like quite injured, and sort of getting yourself in the way of her, that you like you don't really have the time to like do a considered strike. The best defense is an offense. Hard. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you hear from Leopold as you look round. He looks like someone's this is like Badish. Le- Leopold looks like someone slid him on his face through an abattoir. At the moment, he's like he's like covered in guano and blood and bits of bat and fur. But, and he's just got a massive you just see this massive grin through his beard indeed okay why more six of these creatures left uh, <clears throat> is the one that I scorched still around no it's not yeah um, I, I'm just continuing to flank with with harp okay uh, sun sword going in Pray, nah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, that's enough because you get plus two because of the light, right? That's correct, yeah. Okay, fourteen then. And that is what okay. you need. You need a thirteen or more to hit, so you've hit it. Yep. So um, again, damage. that whoop whoop. You only do a, you only do a <laughs> you do a slight sort of cut to one of these creatures. And the smell of burning fur wafts into the air, and then we come to the creatures themselves. As I say, the six of them left. So the first one attacking Brock. Uh, 
Now, you might not have been able to hit them, but using your big sword, you're able to, like, easily fend them off. Brock. Now, normally there would be one attacking Caroline, but since she's covered by Malcolm, it's going to attack Malcolm. You're able to fend it off successfully, Malcolm. You might not have been able to hit them, but again, you're keeping them off uh, Caroline, so it doesn't hit you. One coming at Dick Simpson. And then we have three left. Again, Dick Simpson's still covered by his shield. He's fine. Okay, one against Gordon. Luckily, because he is in cover and gets that plus two AC, he is safe. He's like sheltered by the rocks. It's, although it's scrabbling with its claws, it's not able to get at him. Okay, so we've got two left. So that's going to be one on Leopold and one on Malcolm. So the one on Leopold hits you. You take four damage as just as you're still sort of like holding up these severed bat wings like covered in blood and you're like, yes, feel my righteous dwarven fury. You suddenly feel like a sharp pain on the back ah, of your neck. Bastard. One of the creatures that's like landed on the back of your neck and it's like bit a chunk out the back of your neck. I left myself prone. Indeed. Obviously deduct four hit points from yourself. Is okay. it the bottom or the top number? Top one. Is it a big one? Okay, so the, the final one attacking Hop. Just hits you. No, well, my AC is 16 and I have two for cover, right? I, I apologise, I was looking at the wrong AC. I was looking at YMR's AC. So, yeah, it comes towards you. You think, oh, it's got you dead to rights. Then you've ducked behind some of the stone and it sort of scrabbles at the stone for a bit and then wheels off. And we come back round to Brock. Right, uh, hopefully we've got them on the run now, so we can gang up on them, catch one unawares. Who's got them on the run? <laughs> well, not, I said we, I don't, I didn't say me. <laughs> uh, do I get a plus two? You do, yeah, unfortunately. Hey, that's 13, isn't that's it? That's 13, yeah, you have hit one of them. So, Woo. so hey, as you're jumping we? up and you're like, we think we've got them on the run, and you hear that Leopold going, who's got them on the run? You... <laughs> To, to demonstrate your manly prowess, you you sort of like without even looking, you just like swing your sword up and round, and one of these creatures is sliced into and drops to the ground into like turned, neat portions. I, I turned to Gordon and see, no, I, I knew that'd do the trick. You just got to goad him. You just got to goad him into action. Okay, I've just made a morale check for the giant bats since you've killed a load of them. They have passed, so they continue their attack. So, Caroline. Okay, so uh, another hand axe attack. Indeed. Uh, which I'm guessing is a miss. Yeah, that's a miss. Indeed. She gets close this time, but no cigar. <laughs> Dick, Dick Simpson. Uh, he steps up. The Keystone Cops we got with us. He steps up, and with the plus two, he's got 13, which is a hit. Oh. So he does step up and he swings, but again, it's only a very shallow wound on this creature. But at least he's hit, and you can see, like, he's got, like, a big, like, shit-eating grin on his face. Obviously, he's glad to have actually, like, done something in this combat. He's but he quickly ducks behind his, like, shield. <laughs> okay, Gordon. 
Come on, Gordon. Get in there, my son. Oh, mate. What are you doing, bruv? Uh, that's a hit for one point. Indeed. He <clears throat> fires off an arrow and it grazes another one of the, the bats. Okay. Leopold. All right. Take a swipe. Just enough, is it? That's just enough. Oof. Okay, so you strike one of these bats, presumably with your hammer. Yeah. Are you throwing it, or are you just literally like bashing no, one just, of them? Yeah, like probably one was coming down for Gordon after he didn't really do the business, and I just like bat it away from him. Indeed, you bat it away from Gordon, and it sort of wheels away. It's obviously very injured, but it's still going. Ah, Hop. Curses. Uh, okay, so pretty much same again, John. I want to jump out long enough to attack one and then uh, force Caroline back into a corner. So uh, here we go. Uh, oh, so that's a hit for eight points. Indeed. So the the one that <clears throat> that sort of Leopold has just batted away, and it's like wheeling in your direction to avoid him. You. What weapon are you using? Uh, scimitar. Or so as it sort of flaps towards you guys, already injured, you step up with your scimitar and like slice its head off as it's like sort of like trying to keep away from Leopold and has accidentally wandered into your range. And it drops to the ground, headless, the wings flutter for a little bit, and then it lies still. And now it's Weimar. There are four of these creatures left. Two of them are slightly injured. <clears throat> Is there the one that I've started barbecuing? Indeed, there is. Still in my sights? Good. Yep. Um, we will turn up the heat with the sun sword. Again, just... I think there's a... There's, by now, there's a kind of um, maneuver uh, that me and Harper are doing with the... So, like, dashing in and out, uh, whereby he, he leads it. And when he starts backing off, I get in uh, to uh, cover nice. for him. Love it. And uh, here goes with the sun sword. Praise Gale. Actual damage. <laughs> okay, yeah. So That's how you do it. That's so, how you do it. So you sort of point the sun sword at the, the bat that you've already scorched. And as it we zooms back in for another attack, you swing the sun sword in this massive fiery arc that briefly the flames flare brighter, illuminating the scene around you all. And there is this small sort of fiery explosion of burning fur as another one of the giant bats meets its end, leaving only three remaining. I'm going to make another morale check just for them. Vaporized in the air. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's been a team of uh, digital artists working on that for weeks uh, to get that. At which yep. point, having <laughs> having seen one of their number explode in like a fireball, basically, the other bats start like fluttering up into the air and start wheeling off towards the northeast, abandoning like, their nah. attack on you. Nah. And after a few moments, you know, you're panting, you're sort of looking around, ready for another attack. Everything falls quiet. There's just the sound of your your laboured breaths and like the the clink of metal as you're all sort of like checking your weapons and you're all sort of coming out of cover and looking around. Oh, um, Leopold will have a little poke around these bats and 
look around for one of these wilderness fellas. Yeah, uh, you reckon we could eat these? Nah. No? Nah. nah. All oh, right. Okay. Yeah, maybe, maybe your dwarven metabolism might might still work it, but I would. Yeah, you would. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking it'd be a shame to waste them, but any anyone who wants to eat one of the bats, effectively, you can like regain the ration you would have eaten because you let the bats instead. But there may be un, unintended consequences. Depends what the bats have been eating. It's down to you guys. I'll eat some bats. Okay. I'll get that. I'll get that. Uh, well, it's all that talk of kebabs from Weimar, you know. I'd, I'd eat a bat. Oh. Okay. Our people uh, struggle to find food, so don't like to waste it. Yeah, we can't so, be too fussy in the underdark. And so you can uh, stick two rations back on your group supply uh, hop because those two aren't eating the rations; they're eating the bats. Um, can anyone who's eating a bat roll me a d6? John, do you have a back table <laughs> to roll on? No, I don't. Okay, six. luckily for you guys, obviously due to your hardy ice walker and dwarf constitutions yes. respectively, the, the the taste's a little bit gamey, but you're fine. We'll be sitting there going, that's good eating, that's good eating, yeah. that bat. Yeah, they're, they're, and because they're giant bats, there's a lot of meat on them. There's a lot yeah. of meat, yeah. And to be honest, Weimar's already like partially cooked some of it for you, so like, you know. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yep. <laughs> I'll just uh, skewer one of my just like rotated. <laughs> I see. You don't need to. You could just like put it on, put a few on, and then switch it on. <laughs> it's not, it's not a, minutes, it's a holy weapon, not a lightsaber. <laughs> what an yeah. I'll, I'll I'll be there just cooking them and just like. This isn't really what I'm meant to be doing. <laughs> this is not a fitting occupation for a blade of the This sun. is the meaning. I will have you know. <laughs> I'll have mine well done. I don't want it just sealed. Indeed. That's it. And the rest of the night, thankfully, passes uneventfully. You all wake up the next morning. Uh, most of you, not really the worst for wear, although Caroline is looking a bit rough. She's got like a, a couple of like deep wounds on her from these bad creatures. Did you get any hit points back for overnight? If, if you had a night of uninterrupted rest, you would. Ah, your, right, your night of rest. Night. Is, yeah, 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 Your yeah. night's been far from uninterrupted. Yeah, yeah. However, if the next night passes uneventfully, she will get like D3 hit points back, which, considering she's only got like four hit points, is pretty. Yeah. I mean, would the ring help her in that situation, do we think, or is that not really? If you, if you want to give her the ring. What did the Snorgrass do? The Snort Snag. That's what snow people snake. sleep. Oh, yeah. Slumbergrass. Yeah. Mm. It's only because she's only got like four hit points, I think. We got any, uh, we ain't got no, we got no herbs left or anything. No. Do you feel like the ring is working, Weimar? You have noticed no change to like your leg, Weimar. Um, I don't know what that would be like. Okay. So I don't know. <laughs> but I think Caroline might be in more immediate need. Well, from what they said, we're thinking it might not work because of the uh, 
fire sword, wasn't it? But we also know it's going to take a long time, so... Yeah, yeah, as well. Yeah. True. Yes. I reckon, um... I reckon we should, uh... Put the ring on Caroline, see if we can hit... Heal, heal what is clearly ailing her. Is that what you guys want to do? It's up to you, Weimar, I think. Sure. Okay, so you give the, the ring to Caroline, and within an hour, it will have it will have cured her, so you can bump her hit points back up. Okay. At which okay. point we can give the ring back to Weimar. Indeed. And then you guys stop making ready to press on the next day. You can see your goal, the, the sort of area of the Great Heights, maybe like a day or two away, the area that supposedly houses the mystical mithril. But before we press on for a day, I'm going to suggest we have our five, ten minute break here. We'll come back in ten minutes and then we'll crack on again. Okie dokie. John, while you yes, while you're there, um, just just during that combat, uh, Brock would have been super nervous about that whole sword situation. Yeah, because he's he's got a real strong thing about magic. Yeah, so he, he's he's definitely going to be wary of getting too close to this Weimar guy. Yeah, and you certainly so, notice at several points, like. Whilst Wama was wielding this sword, like his voice seemed to noticeably change, like yeah. as he was talking, like when he was shouting, "Come at me, you fairy devils!" So I didn't want to interrupt in the no, middle of combat, but uh, yeah, it'll be noticeably. It, well, it would be trying to hide it that obviously he's fearful of uh, this magic, but it, it, yeah, that's you know, fine. It, Feel free to roleplay how you see fit. If if they're walking about, you know, it'll be at the other end of the line. If, if, if I was down one side and uh, when this ring starts moving around he, he won't want any of that even though he's like took some damage he's just super suspicious and cautious of it but he's trying to hide it from the rest as much as possible at this stage that's cool thank you for letting me know like I said obviously feel free to role play that how you see yeah 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 yeah, yeah. I was just uh Dropping it in there, just so you're aware.
Hope you weren't too disappointed about the old Friday situation. Are you still keeping the other game going on the alternates? Yeah, I will do. I knew it was a long shot anyway, but I thought if I don't ask, I'll be wondering about it. So, yeah, yeah. Not, not disappointed at all. I know everyone's busy. I take it you hadn't even put it to them, so... No, I'd, um, yeah. I'd, ma- I'd mentioned it to you guys, and I was like, there's no yeah. point bringing it up and starting to worry about nah, rescheduling nah. unless we had to go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, I knew it was a long shot anyway, because I know how busy Colin is at the minute with all his retraining and everything, so... But I was yeah. like, if, I don't, if you don't ask, you don't know, do you? Yeah, I mean, I was... I was keen for it. I had a bit of a uh, discussion about it, and I think it would have worked out. But yeah, I'm happy either way, obviously. Well, I mean, if you want to, if you want to jump into the other game at any point. Well, it was a sort of a, you know, when I I, I raised the issue, it was a sort of mm, all right. <laughs> yeah. Sort of thing. So I thought, that's, that's okay. Fine. So I thought, in in hindsight, it hasn't caused any issues. And yeah, I understand. So. Not I. I would have. I would have been happy to do. It. I enjoy enjoy it. So. Yeah, that's fine. Man. How did the uh, how did the mummy go this week? Did you play this week? Yeah, we yeah, play we every week. <laughs> yeah, we're currently we're currently doing the um, the first turn, so like we're sort of like back in time to like the ancient Egypt days. Or the original. Like, yeah, like like literally, we've just become mummies. We don't really know what we are or like what our names are and stuff like that. And it's quite cool because we've gone from being like we are uber powerful mummies to like oh we've got like a few tricks we don't really know our names we don't know what's going on so we're sort of like wandering around and we're like meeting all these people like we will know in the future like other mummies and whatever and we're like sort of trying to feel people out and sort of work out what's going on. So you're trainee mummies. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's the it's like the, the work experience mummies. Yeah, it's it's the kind of work experience where you don't know that you have a boss. You don't know where you are, what your job is, or who you are, <laughs> and uh, and there might be extremely hostile uh, HR operatives in the field who are looking for an excuse to execute you. <laughs> yeah, we um we, we we basically found this guy who like in the future is like one of our like close associates, and um, he was like injured and being attacked by like this like weird like vampire like shadow man thing, and um, but basically he's like he's missing a leg. He's like ripped to pieces. The only reason he's alive is because he's an arisen. And I was like, to Matthew's character, I was like, all right, strap this guy on your back. And like, we're going to head to this place. I'll try and delay this thing. You like, get him out of here. And like, fight, fighting this thing, you know, like, it's basically got the same tricks that I've got, only better. And I'm fighting it. And I've basically got, I've got this um, artifact, this um, like leather braid that basically, instead of like spending willpower, you can spend like your memory which is like your traits for how much you remember. We've only got one at the minute because we barely know anything. And I'm like, chat with Johannes, it wasn't going to like derail the session. And then I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll spend the memory. So like, I go into attack this thing, like fail abysmally because it's far better than me. And I'm not like a combat dude. And uh, But when you lose your memory, you pretty much become like an automaton and you just like go back to your tomb and like you don't, you don't have any memory or sense of self. So I go into attack this thing, miss it. And then as far as I'm concerned, like just wink out and like, I don't remember anything else until I wake up, like about 
50 miles to the south or probably even further and i just sort of like wake up in the desert and i'm like i've no idea what happened but i'm like oh i'll, I'll go to this city we were going to go to to see if like the others are there and sort of trekked up north to like rejoin them and they're like oh you must be a mighty warrior you survived against this uh, creature and i'm like i'd love to say i was but i don't actually remember what happened so like yeah, I'm not i kind of blacked out yeah I'm like, i swung an axe at him everything went black i woke up like 50 plus so, miles to the south in the desert so you like humans at this point then no we, we, we're like, still mummies like we st we still got the, like the innate powers because you have like different you like, look types like of, mummies um no because you sort of ah. like clothe yourself in like an illusion of like what you look like ah. it's only when you first rise up you tend to like, look like a mummy because you're too powerful to like contain it all right but um <laughs> yeah w at the minute we're basically like we are mummies but we've only got instead of like all the learned like magics we'll have in the future We've only got like a couple of like innate tricks and because we're low power we can't use a lot of our stuff so aside from the fact that like, if we get killed we'll eventually come back that's really yeah. and we don't need to eat or rest that's really all we've got going for ourselves at the minute yeah so if it had been, if it'd been 2016 i'd have like wrecked that thing in the desert uh, and you might have been able to just like you were in a necropolis yeah so you would have been as oh there's ancient bones or, or dead people mummified I'll just have an army yeah, of those yeah I'll be, like, I'll be like I'll deal with you after like my zombie hordes finished with you yeah. but because like, in the future I can like raise the dead and talk to spirits and stuff like that I've got all the like the necromancy whereas in the past I've not learned all of that yet so I'm basically like we've just got to the point where I've got a bit of my power back and I'm like oh I can like disappear into shadows and like do like a sort of shadow step deal but like during this combat I couldn't even do that I was like I've got like a magic axe which maybe does a bit more damage but like i've got to actually hit something with it first which is a bit of an issue for me and i've got like a magic like leather braid that basically lets me like spend memory which i've got virtually none of instead of willpower so, so like even though i've got a few magical bits and pieces they're not tremendously useful at the minute so you haven't actually got to the end of the game no, no. and you're playing up to the end point as yep. such yeah, what we've been doing is uh, we're treating our uh, 2016 as sort of like the quote-unquote current timeline, which is where we're progressing, uh, quote-unquote, the main story. And uh, we're doing flashbacks to different periods in history in a sort of like asynchronous order. So we've, we've done stuff in uh, the sort of Crusades era, uh, Syria. We've uh, been to um, uh, Japan in the 17th century. Uh, we've been to Britain in the Roman times. That was rough. And, yeah, <laughs> that was a bad time. <laughs> uh, Matthew's character got killed. Yeah. And uh, now we're doing the uh, 2371 before Common Era Egypt. So when we're talking, like, when, let's say, like, pop culture says ancient Egypt, that's uh, like a thousand and five hundred years too new for our purposes. So we're mm. in the, the way back. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. Egypt. yeah, it's cool though being able to like jump around all these different time periods and like, we keep coming across people and you learn like more about them. Like there's this guy called um Sack Mist who in the future is like one of like the young like rebels like fighting the is system. It, he's he's a gang lord. Yeah, he's like a proper like gang <laughs> gangster. Whereas we've met him, it we've just met him like at the very start in the past and he's like more sort of like regal and like together. But like each time you die and you come back, like you struggle to maintain your memories. So he's like effectively like a different person at the minute mm. 
but because we're sort of like exploring this as though our characters are remembering it in the present, when I see him again in the future, because I'm like pretty tight with him, I can be like, oh, do you remember this like in the past? And when you mention it to people, it spurs their memories. So I'm hoping I can sort of like get him to like take a bit more control of like his group by like, oh, do you remember when you were like a king pretty much back in like ancient Egypt? Like, you know, you know, in the sky, tell you what to do. So there's quite a few NPCs that go through all the timelines as well, then. Yeah, yeah. all, all yeah. the Arisen, all the other mummies do. Yeah. yeah, and of course, <laughs> a, a, some number of like mortal people as well, but like they're more than any other world darkness game. Like their lives are just a, like just blinking an eye <laughs> for for a mummy. Okay, um, is yeah. everyone ready to jump back in? Yeah. Oh sure. Okay, so the next day after the bat incident, the. The weather is light and slightly. There's still a light rain, a more of a sort of drizzle, but it's still wet. It's still fairly unpleasant, but it's nowhere near as bad as it was. And you continue your journey, guided by the skills of both Harp and Brock Montaigne through the mountains. And as you're scaling a so working your way round a particularly large mountain, as you look across to the east, you can see a, a portion of the the map that you had previously not explored. If I can work out how to reveal it, See how you work. There we go. So, as you look to the east from the top of this mountain, you can see what appears to be a plateau, and shortly beyond that, the the beginnings of the great icebergs to the east, and from the top nearly the top of this mountain you can just glimpse in the middle of this plateau is what appears to be a small village is there any recognition of that village previously Indeed. you know that this is the village of Leng populated by a, a strange even to your people they're like strange diminutive creatures with all of these strange superstitions about winter spirits and they they have some like weird sort of burial rites and stuff like your people don't tend to associate with them because they see them as sort of like accursed people okay sure i shall relay that information to the rest of the group okay no problems And as you continue your travel through the Grey Heights Mountains, you know that comparatively, you've left the sort of open grave of John Cameron behind, and you know that it was roughly round about here where you originally met the old master of the Order of Solaris. And as you continue north past this point here during the day you know that just to the east of that 
is the ruined order of Solaris Abbey, where you first recovered the Sun Sword. And as you travel, Weimar, you and you only in your head, you hear the voice of the Sun Sword recalling the many hundreds, thousands of years it lay dormant in that dank chest before before you came along and recovered me and brought me back into the light of day. Well, here's to uh, many more years of daylight. I'll, I'll say out loud <laughs> to myself. <laughs> okay, so yes, yeah, so as you're traveling along, uh, Brock, you're sort of like, you're sort of with, a, with an air shot of uh, Weimar, and he's walking along, and he's just, and just suddenly, randomly, he just like, to no one in particular goes, here's to many more days of walking in the light. Yeah, I'll be quite suspicious of that, and um, I'll walk a bit further away from him. Okay. No uh, Hart will just come over and just go, don't worry about it, he talks to his sword sometimes. <clears throat> uh, don't know that helps. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's not normal, that's that's not normal, you should, yeah, I mean, I, I swear by my sword, and yeah, I wouldn't... I wouldn't leave, leave it out of sight, but I don't talk to it. Your sword is not the same as his sword. His sword is different. Y yeah. Yeah, he's... Anyway, have no fear. <clears throat> and you're saying this as it gets to the end of the day. You're setting up your camp. So you will need to eat a ration. And during the evening... As most of you are asleep, apart from one of you who's on watch, you're all awoken by a, a loud, gruff voice going, "Ho there!" And you, uh, so go ahead. Sorry, assuming I'm on watch. That's <clears> fine. Yeah. Uh, I'll just be like, "Who's that? Where are you?" As you sort of look around, you see like a small wooden cart with like a a, a single draft horse pulling it. And sat on it, there's like a tarp over the little cart, but sat on like the front sort of driver's plate, you can see a a single, what appears to be, dwarf with like a large gingery beard. And he's like, oh there, I, I mean you no harm. That's fine. You're welcome to share our fire. Oh, splendid. He sort of like, he, he steers his cart round you with a wooden wheel sort of rumbling through the slush. He... He's like, whoa, whoa there, Bessie, whoa there, that, that's fine. And he, he pulls the um, he pulls the cart to a, a stop and climbs down from it. As he's doing so, you can see that, like, just under, like, the top, you can see that there's, like, pickaxes and various other, like, equipment on his cart. He jumps down from it and he's <coughs> like, um, he's like, well, well met to you. Um, my, my name is Krosnan. Krosnan? Indeed. I hadn't expected to see uh, many other people this far north. Uh, not yet, anyway. Right. And what has you this far north yourself? Uh, yeah. Meanwhile, I'll be kicking Leo. Like, uh, way, way more times than is absolutely necessary to wake up. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hey, get out of it. Got you. Not a problem. What's up, what's up with your heart? This dwarf's Christ. bellowing, so anyone who wants to wake up can wake up. Uh, uh. And you see, you see this dwarf. Day. He's actually got like a like a miner's helmet on as he's been uh, riding. 
You, sir. It's like, ah, a fellow Kalner. I don't see many of our sort around here. Leopold Starish, pleased to meet you. He's like Krosnon, Krosnon from uh, from uh, the uh, the Ironhold fortress. Uh, the Ironhold, eh? Ah, back long on time, Raleigh. Long time since Indeed. I've been down that way. Uh, and then to, to answer uh, Harp's question that you asked me, like, how, why are you this far north? He's like, um, well, I've um, I've bought one of the um, the mining claims from um, the Lord of the Eastbourne Fort, and I plan. I've heard rumours there's mithril in those mountains, and well, if it's there, I'm damn well going to sniff it out. Ah. Selling claims, indeed, is he? He says, yes. Uh, he says, I believe both the lords of both forts are uh, selling claims. Um, cost me a pretty penny to get one, I'll tell you. A hundred gold pieces, no less. No, no less. Uh, well, I hope you find enough mithril to make it worth your while. We ourselves are heading north with no claim. Because we don't believe that the lords are entitled to charge for such. We make our own claims. He raises his eyebrows, but he, like his bushy eyebrows, but he's like, "Perhaps you're right. Perhaps you're right. Um, I, I can't say." And he says, uh, he, "He sort of looks. He looks around like he is like surveying your camp, and he's like, um, I don't mean to sound terribly rude, but um, I don't actually see any mining equipment. How, how do you?" How do you plan on mining for Mithril? After all, you're not just going to find it lying around in the mountains. Oh, don't worry, brother. Mr. Stavish here, myself, will have all that under control. These these folk are not miners. I'm, I'm an engineer, mining engineer myself, and uh, it's more of a recon mission. Oh, I see. Um, Fact-finding and that sort. Yes, yeah, prospecting. Indeed, indeed. He says, well, from what I've heard, there's um, there's not been a, a great deal of actual mithril that's been seen coming out of the mountains, aside from a few small ingots and rumours and that, but uh, and he, he sort of like, he, he waggles a finger at the sky and he's like, but you mark my words, if there's mithril in those mountains, I'll find it. Or my name's not Krosnan Ironhold. And tell well, me, Krasnan, would you be interested in travelling that far with us? Uh, yes, I suppose. Uh, safety in numbers and all that. Yes, indeed. He says, however, w once we get to the mountains, I'll obviously go my own way. I, I, I can't have anyone else impinging on my claim, and likewise, I wouldn't want to impinge on your claim. No, no. But yes, I don't see why we can't, why we can't travel to the mountains uh, together. Uh, I'm afraid my cart's not very quick. Um, and he jerks his thumb over his shoulder at the horse. I'm afraid Bessie's a little bit, a little bit past her prime, but you know she gets the job done, <laughs> rather like my good self. Ah, indeed. Um, and might you be willing to part with some of your equipment should we require purchasing it of us? He says, "Well, I, I don't have a great deal to spare. I, I think I've got a, a couple of picks that I could probably let you have. Um, I tell you what, um, call, call it." 20 coins and we'll uh, I'll give you the two pigs yeah let us have two pigs he sort of holds his hand out for the coins assuming you give him like 20 gold yeah. pieces he hands over these two just like normal miners picks to you and he says yeah so luckily for you I bought a couple of spare you know in case uh, in case one of them gets damaged but uh, hopefully <laughs> if you do strike it rich in the mountains you'll remember that old Krosnan helped you out along the way indeed indeed 
Yeah. Um, so tell me, how long have you been in this part of the world? He says, oh, uh, a couple of months. <coughs> I've not um, really gone far from the forts, though, to be honest. Uh, didn't oh. see any reason to until these rumours of uh, Mithril. And which forts have you been in? He says, uh, Eastburn, mostly. Uh, I, I did go. I did spend a little bit of time in um, Fort Kersey, uh, and obviously um, Fort Hawk, further to the north. But uh, And what can you tell us about Fort Hawk? He says, um, not, not a great deal, to be honest. I, I only really passed through. Uh, there's a little bit of trading goes on there. Uh, I'm sure you can guess by the name. Uh, the, the, the Lord of the Fortress is quite taken with his falconry. At least that's what I heard. Uh, mm-hmm. But I only really stopped off there to get some supplies. Uh, rather like yourself, I was doing a bit of um, fact-finding, you know, trying to find out rumours any more about the uh, the mountains, etc. Okay. Uh, can um, you tell us where... Sorry. Uh, can no, you tell I, us I was wh- going to say that as, as you're doing this uh, uh, discussion, Harp, uh, I will have rolled out our map, and I will have gone to uh, our new friend here. It's like, would you please mind uh, this, this fort? Uh, whereabouts... Um, I, I don't think we've um, successfully located it on our little map here. Okay, so I'm going to reveal a couple of areas on your map. Oh, why am I never misses an opportunity to get the old map updated? Yep. It's, it's the one thing that we... Uh, Okay, so he reveals a couple of areas that he sort of like he, he lightly sort of sketches in on your map. However, he tells you that the the fort is actually north of there, so effectively yeah. it's on a different map. Yeah, yeah, but so he's giving me the general idea of like yeah. So we're here, roughly this distance. There's nothing, and then the fort is here. Yeah, he basically said if you were if you sort of headed off this edge of mm. the map, you'd soon find it. You're right, right. Okay, yeah. Uh, no, I'll, I'll scuttle away <laughs> afterwards. Not a problem. It's um, uh, might, mighty bold of you there, brother, to head out on your own. I, I think it would be well for you to, like uh, my good companion here, Mr. Harp, suggest to, to join us for, for the journey. Uh, we have, we've encountered some... Uh, some tricky tricky foes he says uh he says well yes i i know it's a bit risky going out on my own but uh I well if, if i if i got a joint claim with someone else then i'd um, i'd need to split any wealth i found with them whereas if i if i strike mithril now it's it's all mine yeah i'll spend yeah, well. it if you're dead he says well no that's true he said but i've got me and old bessie have got through tough scrapes before yeah, well, I suppose one man and his wagon is well. One dwarf and his wagon is less likely to attract un- uh, uninvited attention. So yeah, there may be something in it. Indeed. And at this point, Weimar, I'm going to ask, can you please roll me a d6? It is indeed a six. Okay, splendid.
so as you watch as you're sort of looking around again you see the large lizard-like shape to the south of you moving across the sky its shadow cast across the land it seems to skirt the edge of the lake that surrounds Witch Isle and be heading towards the mountains to the northwest of it and again you hear this slight sort of roaring screech in the distance but it's still fairly far away from you hopefully that means new new zealand is safe uh, yeah. for now at least and the next day you travel on You continue travelling through the Grey Heights mountain range, guided by Harp and Brock, avoiding some of the more dangerous natural hazards of the environment. You're accompanied by Krosnan, whose wagons rattles alongside you. As you're moving through a sort of particularly narrow, rocky path, being very careful to sort of guide your wagon with the greatest of care so it doesn't tip off the edge from up ahead you hear like a sort of a lower rumbling growl like a bear you think that famous but it doesn't sound like a bear and then as you as you sort of round the corner you can see ahead of you what appears to be a large white and black cat with two dagger-like fangs protruding from its maw as you see this large saber-toothed tiger that appears to be busily devouring the remains of a mountain goat on the path ahead of you. Mm. Okay. <clears throat> This could be my time to shine or my time to die. Um, <clears throat> so I would like to take out a uh, a ration okay. or something that we might have that would be exciting to a saber-toothed tiger and approach it and try and get it to be friendly to me. Mr. Harp is eating a goat already, sir. I still think it's worth a shot. <laughs> It's <laughs> gonna I mean, take your, it's gonna take your right? jerky. It's gonna take your dry ass jerky. <laughs> it's an old, old dobie. Yeah. Well, we have a bit of bat left. Um, I feel I'm just gonna bust out a Hamlet and sit back and watch. <laughs> okay, so as you're like, dun 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 dun, 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 dun. Harp pulls out a, like a bit of like dried jerky and sort of gingerly moves towards this saber-toothed tiger that sort of looks up and lets out that low feline warning yeah, growl yeah, in the back yeah. of its throat. Blood <laughs> stains its maw, dripping from its fangs as like a bit of goat meat plops to the ground. This is what you call mouth. foreshadowing. <laughs> Can I ask you, please make me a charisma roll. Okay. Mr. Harm. Say versus shit your pets. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get prepared because I can see this going horribly wrong. 
Yeah, you, you've got Brock there. Is I'm not saying this won't work, but shh. Yeah. That's a failure. Okay, so it it obviously it's got too many hit dice for you to like make an animal companion, but you've I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make a reaction roll for it. Okay, so as you sort of start going towards it, you're holding out this meat, it lets out like a loud feline hiss and a rumble of warning that lets you know that like, it's not buying what you're selling. However, it's currently got a big goat that it's eating, so like, and you're not really actually threatening it. So it's not leaping to attack you, it's basically giving you the warning growl, which you know is like the animal basically going like, go and do one. <laughs> it, it, it sort of does that big like <clears throat> and you hear the low rumbling growl again in its throat as it bears these like dagger like fangs okay at which point I suggest that we move around us and keep going good idea <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely fine it, it's busy eating the goat it sees no reason to pursue a far more difficult meal when it's got an easy one. So yeah, it once you start going round then it realises you're sort of out of its weight. It goes back to noisily chomping on the carcass of this goat, paying you no further heed. You give it a wide berth and continue moving. You had visions of riding into combat on your saber toothed tiger there, didn't you, Mr. Hart? I did a little bit. <laughs> I can't blame you, I can't blame you. And holding a laughter sword. That's it by the power of New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> And you once again make camp at the end of the day. You all need to eat a ration. They do make good meals, though, Sabretooth. It's true. Okay, so... The next day, near the end of the day, darkness is just falling. You reach the outskirts of the area where you were told Mithril had been found at which point Krosnan will be like right we're here I wish you all the best of luck gentlemen and he sort of starts going his own way on his cart is he happy to tell us where his claim is so that we can check yeah. in on him or is he he, he he tells you his claim is sort of up here okay and obviously you know the sort of like the, the blue area is where Mithril's to be found yeah well be sure to drop drop by and come and say hello and uh, if if ever you're down in the area of New Zealand, come and come and look us up. You'll be more than welcome. He's like, well, I expect uh, I expect this is going to keep me busy for some time. He shouts as he's driving up, and he's like, thank you for the invite. I may I may swing by there at some point. Yeah, All yeah. the best of luck, gentlemen. And he sort of goes off, and you can hear him sort of like dimly fading away as he's like talking to his horse. Okay, so now you're in the, the sort of mithril catchment area as such. If you want to fully explore, like leaving no stone unturned, pardon the pun, you can explore three of the smallest hexes per day. If you want to explore one of the six mile hexes, the, the second sort of tier ones, it will take you... Bum, bum, bum. Just lost it on my notes. Eight days to explore an entire sort of six mile sub So, what do you want to do? You've got a couple of picks. 
You've heard there's rumours of Mithril in the in the mountains. What's the plan, guys? How much food would we have for this expedition? Um, we have... We have about 15 days of food, and it took us eight days to get here. So we have a week's food. Now, we may be able to... We could explore one. I'm a good hunter. Yeah, me too. So we could hunt and try and add more food while the rest of the party try to do the searching. You uh, might have a bit you might have a bit more luck hunting down in the forest there to the southwest. Yeah. Maybe in habitat terms, I'd I i do not know. Well, so you, could, we, you could search that hex though, couldn't you? Yeah. Then you'd be on the edge of that anyway. The one by the woods. Hmm. Yes. And then we hmm. can if we make camp to the west of that we can hunt in the forest during the day and then you guys can, can the rest of the party then can do your searching led by Leo mm-hmm. yeah and, you know we should you know if, when, when we, we know it'll be eight days to get back so we know that when we get to eight days worth of food we just need to leave and I think we're okay okay we- so if you guys are planning on searching one of the sort of um, larger like um, six mile sub hexes can one of you please move your player party token to like the center of the the large hex you want to search lovely thank you very much okay so as i say it's going to take eight days and and obviously it's you've already spent sort of like eight days traveling here so Give me a moment. I think we'll <clears throat> we'll try and rig up a fairly robust shelter for this little stay. Something that's a little bit better than our usual. We might be able to find a suitable cave or something. Okay. So we're now on the third day of a shadow chase, the first month of the Valconan winter. So the weather is predictably getting pretty damn harsh. And also, you a couple of days ago, you passed the payment day for your hirelings. So you have Cotton Nickel, who's costing you 10 gold pieces. Your six defenders costing you 12 gold pieces. And you have Quailac, who's costing you 1,500 pieces. So, assuming you're paying them all, you will need to deduct 1,522 gold pieces from your group fund. Which is a problem, because we don't have it. Okay, so it then becomes a case. Because obviously I'm assuming what money you did want to leave people, you've sort of left behind. I'm not going to say, oh, you've not left it. So... Basically, who do you want to pay? Uh, well, really, it's it's Quilac is the only one that we can't afford to pay, right? Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. Now, um, so I guess ultimately he can't pay it, right? That's the long and the short of it, really. But we'd have had we'd have had to leave in the money that we had, and said, you know, if we're not back in time, 
you know, this is the last of what we got. We um, have enough to pay him for half. We have enough to pay him for half a month. So if it was okay to pay him 750 for the first two weeks of the month, we might be back with enough to... Okay, yeah, so deduct your money, and I've made a note that you've paid him for half of the month. Okay. Obviously, like you say, if you can get back in time and pay him the rest, that's all yeah. grand. Okay, so that's... 700 Okay, so on the first day, you said that um, both Brock and... Uh, Yourself, Hop, we're going to hunt so you can make your hunting rolls. Mine's five and six, so I've got three. Okay, so yeah, you're fine. Okay, so we just wait and see what harp rolls. Yeah, two. Just a, uh, a success. Okay, so you two do a spot of hunting and you've gained enough meat to cover four rations. Okay. Because, to be honest, I mean, you're lucky they've got you two here because it's like a few sort of scrawny mountain goats and maybe the odd sort of sheep here. I mean, you're high up in the mountains. It's only due to the fact that you've started moving more towards the slightly forested area that means you get much hunting at all. And presumably whilst that's going on, both Weimar and uh, Leopold are hunting for Mithril. Is that correct? Okay. It sure is. So, what I'm going to... find some pretty soon or we'll be bankrupt. Okay, so what I'd like you to do is uh, either Weimar or Leopold, can you move your player party token to like the bit of this hex that you're starting your search in? Um, where do we want to start, Weimar? Where did we come from? Which angle? Uh, I think we came from the... I think we came from further up right and we backtracked. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, would have sort of yeah. come in sort of like from this direction. Okay. I don't know. Let's start. Why not here? Somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll put that there. Oh. Uh, sorry, I went to move it as well. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No problems. So you start off searching in that area. Now. As you're sort of searching around, obviously your companions are off hunting, you you notice that when you're sort of like looking in this area, there's a, a strange sort of effect seems to take place. As both you and Leopold are searching this area, you note that it's very disorientating and when you look at an object in this area, it appears to be closer than it actually is. So there's a few times where you like stumble and fall over because you're like, oh, I'll avoid that rock that I'm just about to step on. Then when you sort of move your foot, it's not actually there. The rock is like several feet away, but it looked closer than it is. Like there's some sort of strange visual distortion going on. Hmm. Is this anything I've encountered before? 
it's maybe some sort of magic, but you're not really a magic oh, man. Okay. So magic, huh? And as you're sort of exploring, you're sort of slowly, by sort of trial and error, you're able to map out the sort of rough area of it, which I will now reveal on the map. That's a pretty big area. Indeed, and whenever anyone enters this area, as I say, there's this strange sort of visual, almost like illusionary effect on your senses. And it makes objects appear to be like much closer than they actually are. So it's once you've sort of been in there a while, you sort of get used to it. And, you know, you're sort of like tapping around with your weapons, you know, like making sure by like feel of like where your footing is. But the first sort of couple of times you wander into the area, it's very difficult because, like I say, you're you're stumbling over your footing because you're you're expecting the terrain to be different, whereas that terrain's actually like fifty feet ahead of you. It's it's very disorientating. It makes you very dizzy and almost like you have like a feeling of vertigo the first couple of times you move into it. But gradually, using like say like sticks and your weapons to like tap your way around, you slowly you have to move a bit more slowly in that area. But you don't come to any significant harm, and you're sort of slowly getting used to it. Do we see any signs of habitation that might sort of give us a clue as to? If this is uh, like a natural phenomenon or uh, some kind of sorcery. Okay, well, as you're sort of searching around this area, you come across what appears to be, as you're sort of like peering over like a sort of rocky outcropping, you come across what appears to be a, like, almost like the size of like a small hamlet, but instead of like wood stone buildings the the buildings appear to be made out of like the bones of like mammoths and things like that with like hide stretched over them and as you're looking around you see like a number of these sort of like primitive looking like neanderthal like people sort of like moving around in this presumably their village they're wearing just like simple furs they're, they're sort of like they've got they're quite astute they've got sloping forehead brows Some were of them they, carrying clubs. Were they are they pretty similar to the folk that we met in that cave before that I yeah. Okay. Huh. I sort of nudge Weimar and be like they look like them folk before. Um so at least we know that. We can make ourselves understood with food. So, yeah, I mean, they liked that dagger that I gave them, and they were not unduly hostile. So, you don't hear anything that sounds like sort of the common tongue of man amongst them. You hear like a lot of grunting and exchange. You think they probably communicate about like grunting and like sort of gestures and body language. Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the biggest challenge: communicating with them to 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 get our message across. I wonder if they have. Uh, I wonder if they have created this magic to disguise their whereabouts, or or there's some sort of weird coincidence that they happen to be here. It seems hmm, that's strange. Don't, don't really know. We'd have to ask someone else. Maybe the sage that we've paid for. When we get back, um, 
this is very strange. Should we look somewhere else, perhaps? Um. Yeah, I feel like we don't want to talk. I don't think we want to infringe too much on their territory. We could. Uh... At this point, roll me a d6, Leopold. To see whether they have spotted you. A tree? They don't appear to have. Yeah, I think we'll. Uh, I think we'll back on up. We'll perhaps discuss this with a group when we uh, reconvene uh, over dinner and discuss the day's events. But in the meantime, perhaps we should carry on our prospecting endeavours. We'll make a mental note of where this strange field of disorientating sorcery is. exploring you've just met up with the I said we're condensing this a bit because like I say it's like eight days to search those eggs but we're sort of scrunching it down a bit so you've met up again with Harp and uh, Brock who've been out hunting on the sort of forest edge and you're just about to continue your prospecting when all of a sudden you hear like this noise nearby and before you have chance to react a huge column of fire erupts from the ground springing high into the sky and in the midst of that fire is a huge shadowy demonic looking face that appears dark as the night and as it peers down at you this fire illuminating it almost like a shadow against the flames a loud voice booms out and says who dares trespass on the territory of Talboran the terrible speak now if you value your souls um Don't tell him, Harp. <laughs> Harp, your name will go on the list. <laughs> At which point the face continues and it says, You will meet the most deadly... And then it just stops dead like mid-sentence. And in a slightly less demonic sounding voice goes, is that a a magical hammer and a sword that you're carrying? Who's asking? Well, me, obviously. Yes, well, I carry the... Um, oh, what's it called? Misery's End. And I'm not frightened to admit it. I'm Leopold Stavish. At which point the face sort of like tilts around, moving around the column of flame to uh, to look at uh, Weimar, and it's like, and the sword? Uh, 
What of it? Is there is it a a magical sword? I will think with my hand on the pommel. Can you see what this presence is? Okay, for a few moments, like nothing happens, then you and only you, you hear like laughter coming from the sun sword. Mm-hmm. As though it's like thinks this is like the funniest thing in the world, and it, and it just basically goes, "It's not real." At, at which point, so, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that some might say that it is mythical, lost for thousands of years, recovered by the just. The eyebrows of the demonic face raise, and it's like, oh. At which point, just like instantly, the the column of flame, the face just like disappear, and from behind a large rock, a a grey bearded old man wearing like a pointed hat and robes comes walking out from behind this rock, and as he does, he sees like holding like what looks like parchment in his hand. But as he walks out, like the parchment just like crumbles to dust and like blows away on the wind. And he's like, he just goes, "Ah, oh, well, that was a waste of a of a damn good scroll. Don't never mind." Uh, and he he sort of like he like hobbles over towards you, like he's obviously not too steady on his feet. And he uh, he holds out the hands and he says, "I'm Talbaran." Uh, pleased to meet you, Talbaran. Like I say, Leopold Stavish, and I wouldn't say that was a waste. I thought that was a fairly good show. He's like, oh, do, do you really think so? Thank you very much. He says, well, yes, I, I, I apologise for the theatrics, but, um, well, um, I, I've been living here for a while and I heard rumours that there were going to be people tramping all over the mountain and mining it and stuff like that. And I came to live in these mountains so that people would leave me the hell alone. Last thing I want is a load of people swinging pickaxes and prospecting on these mountains. And well, I, I don't want to actually do any harm to anyone, so I thought, you know, a little bit of, a little bit of the old Shazam might um, scare them off with a, without need to resort to violence. Yes, well, certainly uh, more easily scared would probably have been well on their way, well on their way. But we we have uh, we we we're, we're adventurers more than prospectors, so we've we, we've seen a few things, haven't we, Weimar? You know, we're not so. Not so fast. Uh, we've been through uh, a considerable amount of danger, but I will grant you that there's been very few pillars of fire in our way. And, That's uh, true enough. Well, it's a, it's a. I mean, I thank you for the praise, um, young master dwarf, but. Uh, it's a it's a fairly simple illusion. I mean, no real substance to it. If you if you'd have got closer, you'd have noticed the that the fire didn't give out any heat, etc. But um, well, it, it it suffices for like you say less sturdy folk. And uh, well, uh, I'm here doing a bit of my my own investigating. Nothing to do with mining or anything as crude as that. But um, I, I might be hampered by these people trying to mine their way through the mountains, and I. I just want to be left alone to get on with my research. 
but if the eightfold rule of magic teaches us anything, it's that the first strike is not with the hand, but with the mind. And he takes out the mm. pipe and he's like, you seem like he just touches his finger to the end of the pipe and just like lights. He's like, um, well, it's a most fortuitous that we've run into you, actually. Uh, I don't, this mat that you're looking into, it doesn't have anything to do with, um, strange auras or. Fields, irregular fields of. Oh, you've experienced it as well, then, have you? He says, "Well, t technically, what I'm here researching is isn't exactly that, but um, that that's a side effect of what I'm researching." Tell, tell me, young master dwarf, um, what what do you know about lines of power? Um. Well. Not so much, not so much. The lines of power that I know more about are the the bloodlines of the ancestors and our, our, our royalty. Uh, but I suspect that that's probably not what you're referring to in this instance. This like weird old hermit Talbrand seems to be like warming up and getting into his flow because you've basically gone. Please tell me about your favourite subject. Yes, basically. And he's, yeah. he he points to the distance and he says, "You see that? Uh, you see that mountain over there?" Yep. He says, well, to, to put it in layman's terms, there are lines of power that run across the world. Now, they tend to follow certain natural formations and landscapes and stuff like that. And those who know how, they can tap into that power to uh, to increase their, their workings and uh, others, other such like things. I won't go into too much detail. But... Uh, I came here to to study those lines of power, and I believe when you tend to get a, a couple of lines crossing, as is happening here in the mountains, uh, you tend you tend to get a certain amount of um, leakage, for want of a better word. And when that sort of energy leaks into the area, it can create all manner of strange effects, like the like the visual distortion that you're talking about. I see. Uh, what about the? Um... The folk have you have you encountered the folk that live in 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 that area? It says oh the the, the, the primitives you mean? Hey, well yeah, I suppose you could you could put it like that. He says yes, I've um, I I've seen them, but um, I normally give them a little bit of a wide berth, and they seem happy to do likewise to me. And like I say, I came here to to get away from people and find a way to continue my studies. Uh, so I've generally left them alone. Like I say, they seem happy to. To do the same for me. I mean, uh, I've seen, I've come across a few of them while they've been hunting, but uh, they seem to be a fairly superstitious lot. It's, uh, it's fairly easy to, uh, to, to scare them away if I need to. And he sort of waves his hand dramatically. Are they? Do you think they're the folk that have moved off of the glacier that have maybe been here all along? Or he says, I, I suppose it's possible. I mean, I'm no, I'm no genealogist, but. Um, they, they they appear a good deal more primitive than um, like the, the ice walker tribes, and uh, even compared to the, um, the the strange twisted folk of Lang, they seem to be. I suppose it's possible they they could have regressed somewhat um, in isolation, but um, I'd I'd have to make a deeper study of it, and I, I don't really have time for that at the moment. But you may have something, young master dwarf. Hmm. 
Anyway, so tell me, what, what brings you to these mountains? Um, well, you'll probably be a little bit put out to know that we're here prospecting. We are, we're settlers to the south of here and uh, we need to raise funds. So we're here on the rumour of Mithril. And obviously, as you can see, I'm a dwarf. And, uh, well, I feel like I'm duty-bound. It's, it's a, matter well, of honor, a matter of honour, really. It's as well, I I don't know a lot about your people, the Kalna, but uh, I suppose if you're staying in this area to the south, I mean, normally, like I say, my, my sort of research is far to the... Uh, it's far to the, the northeast of here, so I don't see you'd be bothering me overly much. And uh, but I, uh, I I live in a um, I live in a small hut in the um, the range of hills just um, to the north of the mountains. Uh, it's quite by chance I was um, in fact it was due to the um, the visual distortion that I actually spotted you. I'm sure you've worked out it makes things look nearer than they are. Well, <laughs> as I was wandering near the edges of it. Uh, to me, from my point of view, it seemed as though I was stood right next to you. Obviously, I know what, what effect it has, so I was like, oh, I'll quickly hide behind this rock and uh, do my thing, as it were. You, you really think, my, you really think my, uh, my, my fire face was impressive? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, as Weimar says, uh, it's not something you see every day, a big column of fire with a, a talking face. Uh, I've, I've, I've seen... Many, many folk impressed with a, a much lesser spectacle. Oh, well, like, like I say, I, um, I, I can obviously see you're discerning people, um, and if, if you're staying in this area, uh, I, I don't see that um, any harm will come to it for my research. Like I say, I'm a, I'm in that mountain over there, so. Uh, That's where the uh, that's where the the line of force is nearest to the surface and easiest to tap. Uh, have you got a secure hold there? Uh, your dwelling is uh, secure. We've seen a number of uh, well, it was only a short while ago we come across a large betoothed tiger type creature. Well, like I say, my, although my researchers are in the the mountain, I actually live in a. Uh, a hut to be on these mountains in the hills, uh, so I don't have a holding in the actual mountains. But oh, um, I see. Uh, we've been using various abilities at my disposal. It's fairly easy for me to quickly get to the mountain and back. So, uh, my, most days I'm when I'm uh, not involved in researches at home. I, I I travel to the mountains, and like I say, normally I'm north of here. But I uh, I, I happen to be like ranging a bit further south, studying the the strange visual effect, mapping it out, and such, and uh, happen to see. Your group. Hmm. Have you um, have you got any idea uh, about about this uh, mithril? Have you come across it? I mean, I know that's not really your line of work, but in, says, in your tra travels, you've clearly been here a while, and wonder if you might have picked up on any signs. Well, I, I know there is um, there is a. Some of it up to the in the mountain where I'm doing my um, studies. Uh, if you if you're searching this area on the borders of the forest, uh, there is a, a stream that runs from the mountains and runs down here. If you're it, it's um, a couple of hours to the south of here. If you if you're going to find mithril here, then you'll probably find traces of it there if it's washed downstream. 
indeed i was not aware of this stream and i that would be a very good place for us to uh go panning for mithril i believe weimar that may be our next destination certainly it's well uh, we are not laden with a lot of detail of the area so he says well um i can't much as it's been a pleasure to speak to you all i can't stand around here all day i've got a I've got research to do, and he he, ta he takes out a scroll from his long pillowing sleeves, unfurls it, and he reads something in a strange language off it. The scroll immediately turns to dust, and he just like vanishes. However, a few minutes later, you hear this. Even though you can't see him, you hear like footsteps heading north. <laughs> <laughs> and that was I thinking he'd teleported away. <laughs> Quite an interesting chat. We'll have to uh, perhaps drop it, drop in on him. Okay. He's going to be very surprised once the actual spelunking interests arrive. Hmm. Hmm. Can't believe those guys are handing out um, permits. And at this point, uh, Leopold can ask you to roll me a d6. Two. Okay. As the frost worm moves. Mm -hmm. Have we got a, a contingency plan for the Frostworm? Are we going to feed it to the Dwarf? Ah. Yeah, run faster than the Dwarf, I think. Yeah, yeah our, our best plan is probably like, Serpentine, Serpentine! Do you know, that might not be your best plan, as I'm the only one that seems to hear anything around. <laughs> <laughs> You'll keep it occupied then. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll keep it occupied, yeah. Yeah, I can definitely do that. Okay, so you see the frostworm sort of flying to the south of you into the hills just shy of the glacier. It dips down below the hills out of your range of sight. And then just distantly you can hear the sound of snapping wood and crumbling stone and the roaring of the beast as it descends out of your vision. And then amidst all of that you hear the unmistakable sound of a black powder weapon being discharged Ooh. Mm. a few moments a few moments later you see the the great creature with a a roar ascend once more into the sky and as you look you can just about make out what appears to be the the tiny figure of perhaps a man, maybe a woman, you can't tell, clutched in one of its claws, a long billowing cloak, or perhaps robes, again, you can't tell, sort of flapping around as the, the dragon ascends with its prize. Not our mate, surely, not our old mate.
Didn't it didn't look like the robes of the guy we just met, did it? You couldn't tell at this distance. No. He's, he was right next to us, wasn't he? He went, he went off though, didn't he? Yeah, but that's, yeah, well, he stayed in the mithril like area, right? Uh, yeah, he, yeah. He stayed. He stayed oh, in the right. mithril area, so you suspect it's not him. So we've got a good idea of the size of this thing now, would yeah. you say? Yeah, it's huge. So we need to bear in mind that we need to always try and keep somewhere where we can go and go to ground or mm. a cave well, or something that it wouldn't be able to get into. Yeah, well that ain't that ain't gonna happen, is it? We ain't gonna be able to do that. Then the sort of things like that are a little bit rare, aren't they? Well, it's potentially worth looking for whilst. So well, it's all right. You might find something in the mountains, but it's hmm. it other than the mountains, I reckon, tricky, a bit tricky. Yeah. Well, you can try and stay under the trees. Under the trees. Yeah. Under the like you say, under the trees might be your best bet. If we had like a like a kind of a, if we made a a natural type shelter and then camouflaged it to kind of conceal ourselves from the air. Mm. But is there much tree cover in the actual mountains, though? Well, no, there ain't going to be no tree cover. There's, the, there's but, virtually but, but, no tree covering in the mountains, but you are on the very edge where it starts running into a forest. Yeah, because that's where you lot are hunting. Yeah. So, yeah. so perhaps a reasonable amount of time we're going to spend in, in and about the woods anyway, just doing day-to-day -day stuff and all that. Uh, then I suppose what we could do, we could look around in the mountains so that we've got at least somewhere that we could uh, have as a bit of a bolt hole or something if we was up that way. But I think the best we're going to be able to do is like, like when, when we see that thing is just get into cover and, and, and perhaps try and hide. And like maybe like if we've got a fire, we perhaps put out the fire and we just got some sort of like, uh, some like well, like a like a dragon protocol or a frost worm protocol that we all know what we got to do, and we we get to doing it. Yeah, I mean the size of the thing, you would hope you'd get a little bit of warning. Oh yeah, it's de it's definitely not going to be stealthing up on anybody. Yeah, so like you say, if we've got some sort of agreed plan to either sp split up in a certain area and hide or or if we've got points that we've found that potentially good for hiding yeah and as you're sort of reaching the end of your search on the eighth day and you're sort of talking about this as you're moving around and you're still doing your search you eventually thanks to the aid of the the strange hermit you do locate this small mountain stream that flows down into the forest and as you're sort of getting close to the bank Leopold as you glance across the water you see a glimmering deep within it as though of the brightest silver or perhaps Mithril and that is where we will end the session for today guys <laughs> Thank you very much for playing. I hope you all enjoyed the session.
Yeah, it's very good, John. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Nice. I especially like the ending where <laughs> we, uh, we met the, the wizard man. That was great. Because we haven't had a lot of wizards around. Indeed, no. no. Okay, so obviously, guys, I'm going to, I'm happy to chat for a bit and I'm going to work out XP and I'm going to try that automatic give people XP dealio that I can apparently do. Wait. We'll see how that goes. But I've got to work it out first, obviously. So, um, but I'm going to end the stream here. So thanks to anyone who's watching this. I hope you guys enjoyed it, watching it as much as I enjoyed running it. And hopefully you guys enjoyed playing it. Big, so. big shout out to Joe. Joe Richter, hindsightless. I know he watches. Indeed. <laughs> and hopefully we will catch you on the next session in a couple of weeks' time. So until then, take care. Mm.